kill you. Yeah, what's wrong with the beer we got? Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It's Monday night, and where I am, it's 6 p.m. Welcome to another edition of Auntie Nanny. I believe this is episode 104. Um, With me tonight is the bubbly and vivacious Miss Jeannie Kay. Hi, Miss Jeannie. How are you? Cold. And she's very chilly. And the best producer money can't buy. Very, how are you this evening? Got good songs. Okay. Um, and I guess we'll start with the Casa weekly update for two, yeah, the week of 216 2015. Um, Alex, are you here? I'm here. Hi, Alex. How are you? Um, okay. <laughs> Busy, cold. Both. Both. Both, yeah. Um, the the legislation is just uh, coming thick and fast. Yeah, and I am, uh, I feel like there's a couple of updates I need to catch up on here. Um, okay. But uh, I, I just, I just went racing over to Indiana, the Indiana General Assembly page, and nothing is uh, updated yet. So, okay. um, but that is scheduled for a hearing, I believe, tomorrow. That was SB 539. Okay. Um, I think there's going to be more details coming out, okay. coming out of Indiana advocates, actually, tonight. Okay. Um, but there's a good group of folks on the ground there, so uh, it will be interesting to, to see what comes of the hearing tomorrow. Yes. I think so. Um, I know you've been busy writing calls to action, writing calls to action, writing calls to action. Um, (laughs) Yeah. um, It was sad because I came home after work on Valentine's Day and I put a message in your Skype and I said, just ignore it till tomorrow. You're like, no, I'm actually working on this call to action. (laughs) I was like, what a nice Valentine's Day for your wife. Um, it's it's not that bad, honestly. I I've been in the service industry for ten years or more, and you know my wife has worked in restaurants herself. So and neither of us are too keen on going out for uh, everybody go out and pretend to be romantic day. Um, 
so we actually ordered in. We had burritos and watched out in Abbey, so that's uh, <laughs> that's good enough for us. Hey, it sounds like a better night than I had. I um I worked, so of course I got to see everybody and their brother who has never bought flowers before in their life come in and, and leave with big giant bouquets of roses and, and it always strikes me as really false. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um what, <laughs> what I know, I'm sorry. What new um, is there anything new in the pipeline or are we just sort of making sure that we're updating stuff that's going to hit soon? Um, pipeline, yes. I was actually trying to finish something up for Texas today. Um, uh, let me get my thing up here. SB97. Um, it has a companion bill in the house. But uh, SB97 is the one that's kind of moving. Um, this would affect Internet sales. Um, the issue here is actually with a particular section, and it requires people to – you have to have somebody who's of age sign for the package um, right. you know, on top of all the other stuff that you have to go through. Um, and uh, – you know, this excludes, of course, packages being left at your door or, um, you know, perhaps someone underage is the only person at your house to receive a package. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this would, would cut off a lot of people who depend on online sales, right. obviously. I, I'm mm-hmm. preaching to the choir here, but just yeah. so that it's preserved for the archives. Um, <laughs> and, of course, someone else had made a pretty excellent point here that, um, you know, the U.S. Postal Service and UPS and others, they only do the age verification for people 21 and over. So this cuts out everyone between the ages of 18 and 21, and that means people serving in the armed forces in Texas um, yes. who would probably like to be vaping instead of smoking. Um, those people would be excluded from these receiving these packages. Um so it's again overall it's it's not a bad bill it's just this this one particular section uh and uh, I should be able to get that out tonight if not tomorrow mm-hmm. um and then uh, I guess people should probably be aware Hawaii is just sort of general craziness um I, yeah. I, I don't. I'm not going to read all of the bill numbers here, and this I don't even think is all of them. Um, you know, four, twelve. So there's like thirteen bills that were no. I'm sorry, nine bills that we're sort of addressing in our most recent call to action. And uh, Hawaii, not a very populous state, um, right. so it's kind of again another instance where there's a lot of local people kind of stepping up and, and taking some initiative um, and, and connecting with lawmakers. Um, Always a good thing. Yep. Uh, and so we're actually somewhat dependent on them to keep us up to date. Um, but uh, Hawaii Vapors United is a Facebook group. So anybody in Hawaii who's interested in following the legislation should check them out. Um and of course, our call to action: If you live in Ohio, in Hawaii, please uh, participate. Um, and then my little slip there was Ohio. Um, 
I guess I guess all budgets are thousands of pages long, um, but uh, our particular section starts on page two thousand and one of the Ohio budget, um, and it's like a dozen or more pages, uh, and this is particularly nasty. Um, they're counting basically two milliliters of e-liquid equals one pack of cigarettes. And so they would impose the cigarette tax, which they're bumping up to a dollar fifty something or two dollars, something like that. Right. Um, on every two mils. On every two milliliters. It's crazy. So yeah, an additional twenty some dollars per thirty milliliter bottle. Um, it's it's pretty outrageous. Um, so there's some strategy meetings happening this week and, and people are getting together and, uh, we will likely be releasing something soon for that. Okay. Um, I know that New Mexico is looking at a tax. It's not um, just a tax. You did see they put forward, they actually just put forward a bill in the house, but not the Senate to ban vaping and smoking in cars with children. I do recall seeing that. Um, yeah. I, I, I have not added it to my list. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's okay. <laughs> Poor Alex. I'm sorry. This is what I do. Um, I and then, uh, so yeah, New Mexico is on the radar. Uh, there should be an update coming from New York soon. Um, it, it sounds like the flavor ban is still in play. Um, and Vermont. Vermont, um, I, I, yeah, I think we covered Vermont a, a, couple, a couple weeks ago. Vermont and Connecticut have some very strange things going on. Yeah, um, Connecticut looks really, but I mean, that's Richard Blumenthal, so that's not really a shock. Y you know what I mean? He's always been kind of showboaty. So <laughs> this, this, well, I, I don't know how else to describe the man, but he, he's always kind of been like that. Anything he can do to get some sort of press so if he comes down on something like the hammer of God, and he usually does that on a Monday, by the way, um, you'll hear about it because he gets all kind of press for it. <laughs> well, is it is it him or is it like buddies in the state legislature that are trying oh, to get invited sure. to the Blumenthal family barbecue? I'm sure it's all of them just wanting to get together and just, you know, I'm the boss. <laughs> you huh. will live as I see fit for you to live. Yeah. Um and you will pay the taxes I want you to pay. Um, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> no different from any other state, I guess. It's just that uh, Blumenthal's um, really a, a big uh, fan of making sure everybody knows what he's doing. Which, that's kind of nice for us. We don't have to guess. Yeah, <laughs> we don't have to works. go hunting. Yeah. It's a good thing. So, Connecticut... Um, yeah, that's that's in the pipeline. Uh, nothing has moved on that. But Connecticut's weird because all of the bills that we see right now are sort of in that you know like kind of a strange proposal phase. Mm -hmm. um, so there's no actual bill language that we've seen. Uh, we know that these things exist, but they haven't quite made it to fully formed. Um, and I have things in yellow here. <laughs> I have a color-coded list. You have um, a spreadsheet, don't you? Yeah, it's a spreadsheet, <laughs> and it's color-coded. Uh, there's there's two little bits of green, which is nice. Um, but uh, we have uh, Kentucky is probably going to see a manufacturing bill. 
uh, or has seen it. I just haven't seen a language for it yet. Right. Um, something is coming up in name. And then uh, there was some, uh, I think Dimitri actually had posted some stuff up from a meeting that they had. Um, was it last night um, or Saturday? So, um, so there's, a, there's, there's a handful of bills in Tennessee. Um, there were a few that started out that looked um, okay, but the problem with any legislation being introduced is that horrible things might piggyback along. So um, it's, it's all just sort of monitoring right now. And I haven't seen the new bills yet, so I don't know um, how threatening some of this stuff is. I had to go to work today, so. <laughs> yeah, well, damn you. You and your 40-hour-a-week work. <laughs> me, me too. Otherwise, we could accomplish a lot more. Um, uh, oh, um, the other thing, I know Julie touched on it last week, but the CASA testimonials are live, so if you haven't done it, um, please go and submit your testimonials to what CASA. I, I forget the web address, but, um, yeah, you can go to the main Kassab page and get there from there. Um, also, if you have not yet, please sign up to be a Kassab member. It really, it doesn't cost you anything, and this way we can let you know one-on-one -on -one when stuff is happening around you to take action. Um, I, I think that might be it this week, Alex. Um, yeah, that's as it as I can get it. I mean, I can just go down and read the, list, the names of states here, but um, <laughs> that um, could get kind of boring. <laughs> I, I, I don't think we um, say we'll save something for next Monday. I, we don't have to save; it's, it's all just coming. <laughs> I know, <laughs> I know. Um, thank you for the tremendous job that you do for us, Alex. I appreciate it, and thank you for coming on again. Thank you for having me on. Oh, it's my pleasure, and we'll see you next Monday. All right. Take care. Okay. Good night. Night. Oh, poor Alex. Um, yeah. It, uh, at least someone's looking out for us. That's a nice feeling. Okay. Um, so... Good evening, guys. Jeannie's cold as hell. Um, Jeannie, have you ever had this problem before? What problem before? With maple syrup. This is, this is <laughs> Oh, my God. <laughs> this isn't as bad as the other one, but this is pretty stupid. Yes, it is. Laura Benson from Union County, Illinois, was shocked as drug agents raided her family property in search of meth on Wednesday. I heard the dogs barking, and I knew that meant somebody was outside the house, said Benson. And I looked out the windows, and I seen, I'm sorry, I saw a truck coming up the driveway fairly fast. I corrected her language. I can't help it. And an Anna police car right behind it, KFVS News reports. At first, Benson suspected that maybe her son had done something she wasn't aware of. But she then quickly realized the drug agents had mistaken her husband's hobby of making maple syrup for a meth lab. They pointed to the buckets, and I told them my husband has a hobby of making maple syrup. Of and course, wait, they hold on. Time out, time out. Yes, people. She did say maple syrup. Yes. The stuff you put on your pancakes. I just had to clarify for people, make sure yeah. they 
understood. You said maple maple syrup. Syrup, yeah. Uh, I told them my husband had a hobby of making maple syrup. Of course, they realized it once they saw it. I, I have to correct her language. I'm sorry, said Laura. But I was quite startled this morning, uh, as reported by KFBS News. Apparently, one of Benson's neighbors notified the police. See something, say something. Benson is grateful that her neighbors are so vigilant. I would have been pissed. I think my neighbors on their way to church see the buckets and stuff and think we've got a meth lab operation going on here. I just want to put their minds at ease and let them know it's maple syrup and that they're all welcome for pancakes if they want to come on over, Benson said. Crap. The Benson family was not insulted by the request of the drug agents to search their property. I would be. And instead sent the officers home with a sample of their homemade syrup to savor. Drug enforcement agencies all over the nation take reports of meth labs extremely seriously and are known to make mistakes. As in the case of Kathy Adams of Brooklyn Park, Minnesota, in 2008, Adams' home was raided by police officers who believed Adams and her husband were running a meth lab because of reports of a strange smell. Uh, it turns out the sm- strange smell was a combination of chemicals Mr. Adams used to maintain his saltwater fish tank. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I think the last thing I would have done would have been wanted to invite the DEA to look over my property. Yeah. Um, I would have been insulted. I, I don't think I would have been as nice as this person was. Well, and I'm confused about the last part. And and I'll tell you, and the reason I'm confused about it is we had a, we had three saltwater fish tanks. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember anybody ever saying to me, oh, what's that smell? So I'm just curious as to what chemicals this guy was using to maintain his saltwater fish tank with. Oh, I I couldn't even tell you. I, I've never owned one. I will probably never own one. Um, they're, they're actually really, really low maintenance. They, you know, I mean, have salt. Well, you know, here, here's, here's kind of the problem with that. Um, when I was talking about see something, say something, you know, I wasn't kidding. I mean, you know, that's an actual thing. That was an actual campaign. Was it three, four years ago? Yeah, kind of like me, you know, going to end up on a watch list because I happen to buy two pressure canners at the same time. Yeah, don't do that. (laughs) Needed two new ones, so I bought two new ones. Right. So, um, yeah, I'm just sort of blown away by that. I I can't, I don't know, I can't imagine that. Um, I I can't imagine that stupid mistakes happen, but, you know, Meth is pretty, not that I've ever made any, but, I mean, meth is pretty nasty. It's made from some pretty nasty shit. It's made from, you know, drain cleaner and toilet bowl cleaner. You know, it, it doesn't have a pleasant smell. Um, it's, it's, it's horrid. And I know this um, because we had um, one of the apartment complexes I lived in when I was in Dallas. I called uh, the business office and I said, I... You know, I don't, I'm not trying to cause any problems here, but those new people that moved in two doors down, what is that god-awful stench? (laughs) And, yeah, I mean, and I lived in really expensive 
places when I lived in Dallas because right. I didn't like hearing gunshots and police sirens all night long. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, it wasn't like I lived in the hood because I didn't. <laughs> Genie in the hood. I'm just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. So, you know, and my next door neighbor come walking out and they're like, Jesus Christ, what are they going to do about that fucking meth lab? And I'm like, what? He's like, they're cooking meth in there. Don't you know what that smell is? And I'm like, no, I don't know what that smell is. Why would I know what that smell is? <laughs> Doesn't and, that make you feel good that your neighbor just expected you to know what that smelled like? Well, you know, I mean, he knew, so I guess I was supposed to know. I don't know. I thought I paid enough money. You know, <laughs> in, in the 80s, when I was paying almost $1,500 a month for a one-bedroom apartment, oh, I did right. not expect there to be a fucking meth lab to <laughs> Right, but let me guess, you never mistook meth for maple syrup. No, never. No. Yeah. It is it is hard to mistake brown syrupy, lovely smelling goodness for <laughs> stuff that smells like drain cleaner. Yeah, yeah, because that's exactly what maple syrup smells like when you're making it very it smells like oh yeah, maple syrup. Yeah. <laughs> if it doesn't smell like maple syrup, guess what it smells like? Water. Yeah. Doesn't smell like maple syrup. You're probably doing something wrong. Um, yeah, I think we'll save the yoga pants pan, pan <laughs> for later. Um, yeah, we're going down to here. Is your child a terrorist? <laughs> I'm sorry. I know. Okay. Um, there is a link. Where you can grab the full document from. Get it. Okay. Can you throw that in the chat? Thank you. Thank you. Is your child a terrorist? U.S. government questionnaire rates families at risk for extremism. And you might remember the fit we threw when this started in the EU. And as Very so kindly puts it, it's more Euro trash. Are you, your family, or your community at risk of turning to violent extremism? That's the premise behind a rating system devised by the National Counterterrorism Center, according to a document marked for official use only and obtained by The Intercept. The document and the rating system is part of a wider strategy for countering violent extremism, which calls for local community and religious leaders to work together with law enforcement and other government agencies. The White House has made this approach a centerpiece of its response to terrorist attacks around the world and in the wake of the Paris attacks, announced plans to host an international summit on countering violent extremism on February 18th, so only two days from now. The rating system is part of a 36-page document dated May 2014 titled Countering Violent Extremism, a Guide for Practitioners and Analysts, suggests that police, social workers, and educators rate individuals on a scale of 1 to 5 in categories such as expressions of hopelessness, futility, talk of harming self or others, and connection to group identity, race, nationality, religion, ethnicity. The ranking system is supposed to alert government officials to individuals at risk of turning to radical violence and to families or communities at risk of incubating extremist ideologies. Families are judged on factors such as awareness of each other's activities, as well as levels of parent-child bonding, 
and communities are rated by access to health care and social services, in addition to presence of ideologues or recruiters as potential risk factors. A low score in any of these categories would indicate a high risk of susceptibility to engage in violent extremism, according to the document. It encourages users of the guide to plot the scores on a graph to determine what interventions could halt the process of radicalization before it happens. The idea that the federal government would encourage local police, teachers, medical, and social service employees to rate the communities, individuals, and families they serve for their potential to become terrorists is abhorrent on its face, said Mike German, former FBI agent who is now with the Brennan Center for Justice at New York University School of Law. German called the criteria used for the ratings uh, subjective and specious. Arn Kundani, I hope I didn't butcher that too terribly, a professor at New York University, said that enlisting communities in the way the administration suggests in the guide leads a range of non-policing professionals to cast particular suspicion on Muslim populations and profile them for behaviors that have no real connection to criminality. Kundini also questioned the science behind the rating system. There's no evidence to support the idea that terrorism can be substantially correlated with such factors to do with family, identity, and emotional well-being, he said. The guide itself notes that the effects of countering violent extremism programs are not easy to quantify. The U.S. government isn't alone in its attempts to spot youth allegedly at risk of becoming terrorists. The government of France recently, recently issued a widely mocked graphic and demonstrating ostensible warning signs of radicalization, which suggested that abrupt diet or lifestyle changes are correlated with proclivities for violent extremism. No diets for you. White House counterterrorism advisor Lisa Monaco last April warned parents and community members to look out for subtle signs like personality changes in their children at home becoming confrontational, because that never happens with teenagers. The Bush government has put forward a plan to begin monitoring signs of radicalization at the, I'm sorry, the British government, not the Bush. I'm so sorry. <laughs> government has put forward a plan to begin monitoring signs of radicalization at the preschool level. And in the wake of the Charlie Hebdo attacks, children in France as young as eight years old have been detained and questioned by police for allegedly espousing radical views. Experts have suggested that intervention by law enforcement or other branches of the government in individuals' lives, particularly young people, based solely on the views they express, can potentially criminalize constitutionality, constitutionally protected behavior. In some cases, as The Intercept reported, community outreach from law enforcement has also crossed the line into intelligence gathering. Most of the document is a review of the literature on a variety of approaches to dealing with the threat of radicalization. Examples given include a community policing program in Lewiston, Maine, population 36,000, and Saudi Arabia's rehabilitation program for former jihadists, including Guantanamo detainees. Though the White House has insisted that the countering violent extremism is not directed at any specific group, the NCTC guide only cites examples drawn from Muslim communities. It is obvious that in practice, this would mostly only be applied to Muslim communities, said Kundalini, an NYU professor. 
A public affairs officer for the National Counterterrorism Center declined to answer questions about the rating system, the methodology behind it, or why the document was marked for official use only. Well, who'd have fucking guessed that? Doesn't that make you feel good? I, I want to know, right, see the rating system. See if you have a kid who's expressing interest in joining, like, public health at UCSF. <laughs> Wouldn't that classify them as a terrorist? And you'd have to lock them up. Well, that would classify them as a, a vaping terrorist. <laughs> Possibly, at some point. I, well, I don't you know, know, it goes on about thinking about causing harm to others and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't... <laughs> I, I have, I don't know. I was upset about the whole thing happening in the UK. Profiling preschool children is just the height of insanity, I think. Um, this seems just about as bad. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, hooray. People who know nothing about terrorism are now going to watch everybody and make sure they're not terrorists. Sounds like a good plan to me. And and these people that you're going to have doing this watching are already the largest group of people that stand around and say, this child has a problem. <laughs> That's the most terrifying thing. Yeah. Well, so you've got a problem, kid, now you can just have them locked up as a terrorist. God, don't tell people that. God, that's what's going to happen. <laughs> you know what it is. Jan? I know. I know. I know it is. He but swore at me. Look him up. One, yeah, you have one child that acts out, okay? Because, I mean, you know, my father's got a lot of kids. Um, and a couple of my siblings are not people that I would admit to on the street, okay? Mm-hmm. Right. Just because that one's a low-life piece of shit, lazy douchebag does not mean that I am. And so... With all the trouble that he got in in school, if this guide existed then, yeah, exactly. you know, if the government comes for one of your children, they're not going to take one. Well, I mean, the one thing I think we actually know something about is when the states and the federal government used to sterilize people for being uh, stupid when they were actively involved in eugenics and they were actively involved in gen- in eugenics in Tennessee until 1982 where they could seize your whole family and sterilize all of them uh and one thing we know from that is they tend to look at a woman's whole genetic line and sterilize them maybe not her but definitely almost all the children were always sterilized. And I think that should tell you something about government programs to curtail things they don't want. Have, have you seen that TV show, um, Appalachia? No. Okay. Um, well, if, if you ever watch this show, you will, you will see proof that it didn't fucking work. Um, well, you know, look, the problem is, really, nobody should be making that decision for people. 
certainly not the government. That is not their job. I don't think it's their job. I'm not the kind of person that gets up in the morning and goes, this is wrong. There ought to be a law. The government needs to do something. I, I don't know when things started happening like that in this country, but you hear that being said a lot. There ought to be a law. Um, the government should uh, do something. I, no. I, I would say it's the rise of the lawyer. You have more lawyers in the United States than any other country on the planet. Uh, so, consequently, they want to have laws for everything. Yeah, Because well, they all want things to do. <laughs> and they've taken away... They've convinced people they don't have to have personal responsibility anymore. Yeah, but you do. Yes. But the lawyers, it's always somebody else's fault. Well, that is true. Um, a happy story. Iceland jails. Very. Oh, hang on. Yes. Cope thing. <laughs> Cap thing bankers for market manipulation. Yay. Hooray. One country's doing something. Iceland's Supreme Court has upheld prison sentences for four uh, bank executives, the heaviest sentences for financial fraud in Iceland's history, for their role in the nation's devastating 2008 financial collapse. The court Thursday rejected their appeals. The four executives were convicted of market manipulation that took place shortly before the bank collapsed in 2008. Many bankers had been seen as symbols of Iceland's economic excellence before the crisis when the banking sector's assets grew to nearly 10 times the country's GDP. Capthing was one of Iceland's big three banks that crashed in October 2008 along with a uh, Glitner and Landsbanki, sending the isolated volcano-dotted nation of 325000 into a dire financial crisis. The value of the country's currency plunged while unemployment and inflation soared. Iceland was forced to seek bailouts from the International Monetary Fund and Europe and is still, seeking rec- is still recovering from the damage. They also said they weren't going to pay back because of what the bankers have done, which I kind of like. Wow. Um, <laughs> Do you want me to <laughs> see this then? Um, the former CEO of Cap Thing <laughs> got the longest sentence at five and a half years. Sidner Innerson, the former chairman of the board, had his sentence reduced from five years to four, while Magnus Goodmanson, the director of Cap Thing Luxembourg, got four and a half years instead of three years. Laura Olafsson, one of the bank's biggest shareholders, had his sentence lengthened from three and a half years to four and a half years. The four were charged with market manipulation in relation to Sheikh Mohammed bin Khalifa Al Thani of Qatar's crap acquisition of 5.1 percent of shares in Capitaling shortly before it collapsed in 2008. The bankers were found guilty by the Revyek district court in December 2013 and appealed to the Supreme Court. The four bankers who have maintained their innocence, of course they're innocent, will have to pay their own legal costs for the case. It is unclear when they would begin serving their sentences. I don't care. Somebody's going to jail for causing this. Have have you You noticed the other odd thing about Icelandic law? 
some of their sentences got extended when they appealed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's kind of great. Yeah, you were only kind of guilty before, but we really looked back on it, and you're like twice as guilty now. <laughs> yeah, have another year. Yeah, <laughs> that that's what you get. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's good that one country actually did something. Uh, yeah. Because, yeah, they seized loads of assets off loads of banks, executives, yep. and then these four have got jailed. <laughs> well, I mean... I think there's can... still more being going through the court as well. Yeah, well, I mean, but they completely... They completely ousted all of their political parties. They ousted them. They all got together and said, you know, no, we're not paying the IMF back. We didn't do this. The bankers did. And they... Com- Completely got everyone out of their parliament and replaced everyone. What country does that? Just well, I mean, the, the terms. I, I don't blame them. The terms of the IMF bailout meant each citizen in Iceland would have to pay something stupid like two hundred thousand dollars back for right. something they didn't do. Well, you know, every child in this country is born into debt. You know, um, and that's something we didn't do. We didn't print the money. We didn't add ones and zeros to a bunch of stuff. We didn't elect people that couldn't shut the purse strings. And yet, you know, here we are. Maybe the point is to learn something from what Iceland did. You don't really hear about what they did, though. You know? I I still think they should have fed them to a volcano. Well, you know, why not? When they've... They're building a new temple to Odin over there. So, you know, nice little volcanic sacrifice. It'd probably go lovely. (laughs) Oh, why not? Um, This one was my favorite because when I looked at it, my comment was, of course, because whenever I see somebody peeping at me in the shower, I never think there's anything suspicious about it. Obama asked Germany to stop assuming the worst about NSA spying. That's right. Don't think anything bad about it. We're just helping you out. President Obama on Monday admitted that revelations about the National Security Agency's international spying operations hurt the U.S.'s reputation in Germany. But he asked for more patience from the close diplomatic ally as he works to bolster privacy safeguards on the handling of foreign data. There is no doubt that the Snowden revelations damaged impressions of Germans with respect to the U.S. government and our intelligence cooperation, Obama said during a press conference held jointly with German Chancellor Angela Merkel. But the president quickly defended the importance of the NSA's intelligent gathering practices, showing impatience with the international community for its growing skepticism of his administration's concern for the civil liberties of foreigners. Occasionally, I would like the German people to give us the benefit of the doubt, given our history, as opposed to assuming the worst, assuming that we have been consistently your strong partners and that we share a common set of values, he said. Obama stated that his administration had taken significant strides to assuage international concerns about the scope of the NSA's International Surveillance Authority. 
The president referenced a report released last week that provided updates on how the intelligence community can access and store the communications data of foreigners, measures that many privacy advocates have warned do not go far enough. We've taken some unprecedented measures. For example, to make sure that our intelligence agencies treat non-U.S. citizens in ways that have consistent with due process and their privacy concerns, Obama said, something I put in a presidential order and has not ever been done, has not been ever done, not only by our intelligence agencies, but I think by most intelligence agencies around the world. Obama added, there are still going to be areas where we've got to work through these issues. We have to intentionally throw work through some of these issues. They're complicated. They're difficult. Leaked NSA files revealed in 2013 appeared to suggest that the NSA had tapped Merkel's personal phone, perhaps without Obama's consent or knowledge. The scandal reportedly made Merkel irate and contributed to a belief in Germany that spying under Obama had grown too unfettered. Tensions grew so strained that Germany launched an investigation into the apparent espionage, a probe that has not yet shown any proof the bugging occurred, but the damage to U.S. credibility was already done. A survey conducted by YouGov last month, for example, found that Snowden was more admired in Germany than Obama. Well, yeah. Merkel visited the White House in May, which marked her first visit since the Snowden leaks began. At that time, Obama said he intended to work with Merkel to build a better framework for intelligence sharing. But he added there was not a blanket no-spying agreement between the U.S. and Germany or any other country. Reports last year indicated that the two countries failed to reach an accord on the matter. Merkel on Monday reiterated that there is a gap between her country and the U.S. on how to carry out surveillance. But the popular German leader, who's serving her third term as chancellor, was more restrained than she had been in previous comments about the NSA, suggestion, suggesting tensions may have cooled. She acknowledged that the U.S. provides significant intelligence that protects German and international security. On the NSA issue, I think there are still different assessments on different individual issues there, she said. But if we look at the sheer dimension of the terrorist threat... We're more than aware of the fact that we need to work together very closely. Under the changes the Obama administration announced last week, U.S. intelligence analysts will be required to immediately delete some communications data of Americans that is incidentally collected during foreign surveillance halls. Similarly, non-consequential data about foreigners will also be terminated, but it can still be held for up to five years. Despite the minor tweaks, much of the NSA's snooping authority remains the same as it was prior to Snowden's disclosures. The government's bulk collection of U.S. phone records, for example, has continued largely unaltered. Obama called for the end of the program more than a year ago, but he said he had to wait for Congress to send him a bill that met his specifications. White House-endorsed legislation failed to overcome a Republican filibuster in the Senate in November. That bill, the USA Freedom Act, is expected to be revived in the coming weeks. Lawmakers must act in some fashion before key provisions of the post-9-11 Patriot Act, including a section that grants the NSA much of its surveillance power, expires on June 1st. Well, we know that doesn't matter. Executive Order 12333 gives them all the power to surveil us and anyone else that they would like to. Thank you, Ronald Reagan.
Well, yeah, I mean, um, let's face it, spy agencies have always spied on whoever the hell they wanted to anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just sort the paperwork out afterwards. Well, this is just the first time it's been exposed on such a large scale level. Yeah. Now, you would always find out little things here and there. Um, you know, you'd find out this guy was a spy or that guy was a spy. Just little incidental stuff. And that's really changed recently, I think. So, you know, what can you say about that? Um, I think I had another banking story here. I think it was huge. Um, it was the one about the malware. Um, yeah, I'll save that one for later. I don't even think I want to read that one. Um, there actually is always just a lot of news every week that kind of gets looked over. Um, a lot of it's here, I think. Not really a lot of it, but some of it. Okay, here we go. Bank hackers steal millions via malware. The goal was to mimic their activities, said Sergei Golanov of Capersby, about how the thieves targeted bank employees. In late 2013, an ATM in Kiev started dispersing cash at seemingly random times of the day. No one had put in a card or touched a button. Cameras showed that the piles of money had been swept up by customers who appeared to be luckily to be there at the right moment. But when a Russian cybersecurity firm, Kaspersky Lab, was called to the Ukraine to investigate, it discovered that the errant machine was the least of the bank's problems. The bank's internal computers, used by employees who process daily transfers and conduct bookkeeping, had been penetrated by malware that allowed cybercriminals to record their every move. The malicious software lurked for months, sending back video feeds and images that told the criminal group, including Russians, Chinese, and Europeans, how the bank conducted its daily routines, according to the investigation. Then the group impersonated bank officers, not only turning on various cash machines, but also transferring millions of dollars from banks in Russia, Japan, Switzerland, the United States, and the Netherlands into dummy accounts set up in other countries. In a report to be published today and provided in advance to... uh, this paper. Kaspersky Lab says the scope of this attack on more than 100 banks and other financial institutions in 30 nations could make it one of the largest bank thefts ever and one conducted without the usual signs of robbery. The Moscow-based firm says that because of non-disclosure agreements with the banks that were hit, it cannot name them. Officials at the White House and FBI have been briefed on the findings, but say it will take time to confirm them and assess the losses. Kaspersky Lab says it has seen evidence of $300 million in theft through clients and believes the total could be triple that. But the projection is impossible to verify because the thefts were limited to $10 million a transaction, though some banks were hit several times. In many cases, the halls were more modest, presumably to avoid setting off alarms. The majority of the targets were in Russia, but many were in Japan, the United States, and Europe. No bank has come forward acknowledging the theft, a common problem that President Obama alluded to on Friday when he attended the first White House summit meeting on cybersecurity and consumer protection at Stanford University. He urged the passage of a law that would require public disclosure of any breach that compromised personal or financial information. 
But the industry consortium that alerts banks to malicious activity, the Financial Services Information Sharing and Analysis Center, said in a statement that, quote, our members are aware of this activity. We have disseminated intelligence on this attack to the members and that some briefings were also provided by law enforcement entities. The American Bankers Association, they have an association, declined to comment and an executive there, Douglas Johnson, that bastard, we have the same last name, said that the group would let the Financial Services Center statement serve as the only comment. Investigators at Interpol said their digital crime specialists in Singapore were coordinating an investigation with law enforcement in infected countries. In the Netherlands, the Dutch High Crime High Tech Crime Unit, a division of the Dutch National Police that investigates some of the world's most advanced financial cybercrime, has also been briefed. The silence around the investigation appears motivated in part by the reluctance of banks to concede that their systems were so easily penetrated, and in part by the fact that the attacks appear to be continuing. The managing director of Capersby North America office in Boston, Chris Doggett, argued that Carbank Cyber Gang, named for the malware it deployed, represents an increase in the sophistication of cyber attacks on financial firms. This is likely the most sophisticated attack the world has seen to date in terms of the tactics and methods that the cyber criminals have used to remain covert, Mr. Doggett said. As in the recent attacks on Sony Pictures, which I really think was a disgruntled employee, which Mr. Obama said again on Friday had been conducted by North Korea. Bullshit. The intruders in the bank thefts were enormously patient, placing surveillance software in the computer system of administrators and watching their moves for months. The evidence suggests that this was not a nation state, but a specialized group of cyber criminals or pissed off employees. But the question remains how a fraud of this scale could have proceeded for nearly two years without the bank's regulators, or law enforcement catching on. Investigators say the answers may lie in the hacker's technique. In many ways, the hack began like any other. The cybercriminals sent their victims an infected emails, a news clip, or a message that appeared to come from a colleague as bait. When the bank employee clicked on the email, they inadvertently downloaded a malicious code that allowed the hackers to crawl across the bank's network until they found employees who administered the cash transfer systems or remotely connected to the ATMs. Then Capersby investigator said the thieves installed a RAT, a remote access tool, that could capture video and screenshots of the employees' computers. The goal was to mimic their activities, said Sergei Golanov, who conducted the inquiry for Capersby Lab. That way, everything would look like a normal, everyday transaction, he said in a phone interview from Russia. The attackers took great pains to learn each bank's particular system while they set up fake accounts at banks in the United States and China that could serve as destinations for transfers. Two people briefed on the investigation said that the accounts were set up at J.P. Morgan Chase and the Agricultural Bank of China. Neither bank returned requests for comment. Capsby Lab was founded in 1997 and has become one of Russia's most recognized high-tech imports, but its market share in the United States has been hampered by its origins. Its founder, Eugene Kaspersky, studied cryptography at a high school that was co-sponsored by the KGB and Russian Defense Ministry, and he worked for the Russian military before starting his firm. Why that's in the middle of this story about bank or hacking, I don't know. 
When the time came to cash in on their activities, a period investigators say ranged from two to four months, the criminals pursued multiple accounts. In some cases, they used online banking systems to transfer money to their accounts. In other cases, they ordered the bank's ATMs to disperse cash to terminals where one of their associates would be waiting. But the largest sum stolen by hacking into bank accounting systems and briefly manipulating account balances. Using the access gained by impersonating the banking officers, the criminals would inflate a balance. For example, an account with $1,000 would be altered to show $10,000. Then $9,000 would be transferred outside the bank. The actual account holder would not suspect a problem, and it would take the bank some time to figure out what had happened. We found that many banks only check accounts every 10 hours or so, Mr. Golanov of Kaspersky Lab said. So in the interim, you could change the numbers and transfer the money. The hacker's success rate was impressive. One Kaspersky client lost $7.3 million through the ATM withdrawals alone, the firm said in its report. Another lost $10 million from the exploitation of its accounting system. In some cases, transfers were run through the system operated by the Society for Worldwide Interbanking Financial Telecommunications, or SWIFT, which banks use to transfer funds across borders. It has long been a target for hackers and long been monitored for intelligent, by intelligence agencies. Mr. Doggett linked, likened most cyber thefts to Bonnie and Clyde operations, in which attackers break in, take whatever they can grab, and run. In this case, Mr. Doggett said... The heist was much more Ocean's Eleven. Yeah. Anything? Well, <laughs> Go, I know you've got with, something to say. Go ahead. I know <laughs> exactly how the banks ended up susceptible to this. Yeah. I know lots of people that work in IT, and I know dozens that work for banks. They laid off two-thirds of their IT departments. So all their coding experts were sacked. They didn't get rid of the top executives. No, 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 no. They got rid of the people that kept the computers running. (laughs) Therefore, less people keeping an eye on the computers. Well, you know, I have a friend whose husband actually does this sort of thing for banking. And he he was saying they run on, was it XP? All the banks still run on XP because that's what um, all their ATMs and stuff still run on. It's worse than that. The actual, what they call the backbone system for most banks, are still based on Unix systems, which were designed in the 70s. <laughs> All the rest's overlaid on top. So it's so. ancient equipment. <laughs> That's what I mean. I had a friend who was a Unix specialist, mm-hmm. and they got laid off when the crash happened. <sighs> and it was the uh, the... the place she worked mm-hmm. she was the only Unix expert <laughs> <laughs> they outsourced her job to India well the Indian government is doing a fine job yeah <laughs> you know sometimes it isn't always better to go cheaper but well, I just thought I mean, that on, in an industry that relies so heavily on computers they got rid of loads of their computer stuff it was insane oh, that- that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. But that kind of is what they do, apparently. Um, we talked about Angela Merkel and the president, and we talked about banks and banks, which I said we would. Very. Get ready. 
<laughs> FBI really doesn't want anyone to know about stingray use by local cops. Stand by for action. We are about to launch Stingray. can happen in the next half hour. Something so funny about that children's television theme song being used on this show. <laughs> oh, you got to find uses for the old puppet shows. Yeah. If you've ever filed a public records request with your local police department to learn more about how cell site simulators are used in your community, chances are good that the FBI knows about it, and the FBI will attempt to prevent disclosure of such information. Not only can these devices, commonly known as stingrays, be used to determine a phone's location, but they can also intercept calls and text messages. During the act of locating a phone, stingrays also sweep up information about nearby phones. Last fall, Ars Technica reported on how a handful of cities across America are currently upgrading to new hardware that can target 4G LTE phones. The newest revelation about the FBI comes from a June 2012 letter written by the law enforcement agency to the Minnesota Bureau of Criminal Apprehension. It was first acquired and published by the Minneapolis Star Tribune in December 2014. Similar language likely exists between the FBI and other local authorities that use stingrays, as the letter states. In the event that the Minnesota Bureau of Criminal What happened? We have lost Hello. John, everybody, I think. No. Uh, no, you're there. I'm here. Oh, huh? I don't know what happened there. The okay. sound just cut off. I'm sorry. Uh, it's, I'm not doing anything. I was just uh, reading. <laughs> yeah, it's probably uh, Skype. Yeah, well, Skype is wonderful. Um... Let's let me go back here. Um, the newest revelation about the FBI comes from a June 2012 letter written by the law enforcement agency to the Minnesota Bureau of Criminal Apprehension. It first it was first acquired and published by the Minneapolis Star Tribune in December 2014. Similar language likely exists between the FBI and other local authorities that use stingrays. As the letter states, in the event that the Minnesota Bureau of Criminal Apprehension receives a request pursuant to the Freedom of Information Act 5 U.S.C. 552 or an equivalent state or local law, 
the civil or criminal discovery process or other judicial, legislative, or administrative processes to disclose information concerning the Harris Corporation redacted, the Minnesota Bureau of Criminal Apprehension will immediately notify the FBI of any such request telephonically and in writing in order to allow sufficient time for the FBI to seek to prevent disclosure through appropriate channels. While the FBI did not immediately respond to Ars Technica's request for comment, privacy activists were dismayed to see this language. It is remarkable to see collusion by state and federal agencies to undermine public records requests, which are clearly aimed at keeping the public in the dark about the use of Stingray technology, Hanny Falkowi, a lawyer with the Electronic Frontier Foundation, told Ars Technica. After all, any truly sensitive law enforcement details could be redacted under traditional public records law, but the notion that the federal government would work to actively block disclosure of records seems clearly to have a chilling effect, no shit, on obtaining information about the controversial surveillance tool. Earlier this month, Mike Katz Lascabi, I hope I didn't butcher his name too badly either, a California-based privacy activist, submitted public records requests to to the 100 largest local law enforcement agencies in the country. So far, he has only received one response, notification by the police in Tacoma, Washington, to the FBI concerning a records request made by an Associated Press reporter in October 2013. I'm trying to systemically determine which law enforcement agencies have these cellular telephone surveillance and monitoring devices, he told ours by mail. My first set of requests was sent to the law enforcement agencies of the 100 largest cities in the U.S. My next request will go to state police departments or public safety departments of all 50 states and to the county police slash sheriff's departments. The secrecy around these devices, Stingray, Kingfish, DR. T-Box suggests that it is a critical is critical to national security. However, these devices are mostly used in regular criminal cases as a standard tool of local police departments and as such should be subject to the same disclosure as any law enforcement tool. Relatively little is known about how exactly the stingrays are used by law enforcement agencies nationwide, although documents have surfaced showing how they have been purchased and used in some limited in- instances. In 2013, ours reported on a leaked document showing the existence of a body-worn stingray. Back in 2010, Kristen Paget famously demonstrated a homemade device built for just $1,500. Worse still, uh, police have lied to the courts about the use of such technology. Just last month, two U.S. senators made public the FBI's position that the agency could use stingrays in public places without a warrant. The largest manufacturer of these devices, the Harris Corporation, has routinely been tight-lipped about its hardware capabilities. Many legal experts have pointed out that a federal agency like the FBI should not have any bearing on whether a state agency complies with state law. It is surprising in the sense that it seems like just a completely inappropriate and overbroad use of federal authority. Nathan Wessler, an ACLU attorney, told ours, What is most egregious about this is that in order for the local police to use and purchase stingrays, they have to get approval from the FBI. Then the FBI knows that dozens of police departments are using them around the country. 
And yet, when members of the press or the public seek basic information about how people in local communities are being surveilled, the FBI invokes these very serious national security concerns to try to keep that information private. Others, though, pointed out that the FBI is likely not doing anything illegal by compelling police departments to hand over its public records requests. After all, public records in and of themselves are by definition public. The fact that you get put on notification might maybe sometimes help the FBI catch some bad players, Daniel Slaughter, an Oregon-based public records lawyer, told ours. It doesn't mean you're going to get picked on or arrested. I would not be scared to make a request. It wouldn't scare me. But would it scare Grandma? Maybe. Would it put a chilling effect on some people? Sure. But if you're going to investigate law enforcement, then you've got to be a tough cookie. That's yeah. just par for the course. Yeah. Oh, and also chat crashed. But it seems oh. to be back up now. Okay. Sorry about the chat crashing, guys. So it wasn't, it was like VP Live? <laughs> uh, I don't know. That's just weird. Wasn't me. <laughs> um, okay uh, this one is about dirt boxes <sighs> there's got to be a really good song for that somewhere probably after, yeah I'll, I'll find it after months of silence from feds on flying phone surveillance the Electronic Frontier Foundation sues since Wall Street Journal report on dirt boxes flown by U.S. Marshals huge details have come out The Electronic Frontier Foundation filed a lawsuit Monday in order to learn more about the United States Marshal Service use of airborne cell site simulators. The San Francisco-based advocacy group filed a Freedom of Information Act request with the Department of Justice, the USMS's patent agency, parent agency, shortly after the revelations came to light in November 2014. However, the DOJ has not produced any responsive documents and has long exceeded the 30-day deadline as defined under FOIA law. In the suit, which was filed in federal court um, in Washington, D.C., the EFF asked the court to compel the DOJ to immediately produce the documents. The DOJ did not immediately respond to ours requests for comment. Last fall, the Wall Street Journal reported that the U.S. Marshal Service was using small, fixed-wing Cessnas equipped with so-called DRT boxes, dirt boxes. The devices are receivers that spoof a cell tower to gather data from citizens' phones below. The purpose of such collection is to target and spy on criminal suspects, but the data from any nearby citizen's phone is also collected by such devices. The dirt box gets its name from the Boeing division that makes them, Digital Receiver Technology, or DRT. On its website, Boeing says that DRT creates a miniature yet powerful receiver measurement capability to test and monitor wireless signals. While other products require multiple scanners linked together to perform a similar system measurement, Boeing offers this capacity with a single portable product. The devices are believed to have stronger capabilities comparable to the Stingray, a trademark product sold by the Harris Corporation, which has been very tight-lipped about its specifications. Stingray, though, has come to be used as a generic term for this entire class of devices, which are also known as cell site simulators and IMSI catchers. 
While stingrays have long been known to be used by federal, state, and local law enforcement, this marks the first time that such an agency has been reported to have deployed the equipment onto airplanes. A way to know. In a newly disclosed document, it was also reported Tuesday that the FBI has been notified every time a local law enforcement agency receives a public record request under state law. Christopher Allen, an FBI spokesman, declined to answer Ara's previous questions on this policy, but on Tuesday provided a statement that the agency has previously used in other related cases. The statement reads, The FBI has, as a matter of policy for over 10 years, protected this specific electronic surveillance equipment and technologies from disclosure, directing its agents that while the product of the identification or location operation can be disclosed, neither details on the equipment's operation nor the tradecraft involved in use of the equipment may be disclosed. The FBI routinely assert, asserts the law enforcement sensitive privilege over cell site simulator equipment because discussion of the capabilities and use of the equipment in court would allow criminal defendants, criminal enterprises, or foreign powers, should they gain access to the items, to determine the FBI's techniques, procedures, limitations, and capabilities in this area. This knowledge could easily lead to the development and employment of countermeasures to FBI tools and investigative techniques by subjects of investigations and completely disarm law enforcement's ability to obtain technology-based surveillance data in criminal investigations. There's one small flaw in the article. Yes. It's the first time it's been deployed in civilian aircraft. Right. Well, I mean, I think you'll find the F twenty two Rap has quite similar uh, equipment on board for uh, as part of its electronic warfare suite. Hmm. They can um, intercept communications and um, disrupt communications. That's part of what an F twenty two does. Right. That's where the smaller, more mobile version of this technology came from. You know, well, and if the FBI doesn't want this information out there, then they should stop giving it to local police. Yeah. Well, I mean, he- here's the thing. You have the right to know about this stuff. You have the right to know what is being used potentially against you. Do you not? Yes. You do, right? I mean, you have the right to know that it exists. You have the right to know how it's being used. Just like you have the right to know... When you go to trial, you know, what evidence is being bought against you? But this is nothing like that. This is... What? Well, because, I mean, you know, our military has secrets, Jan. Well, yeah. I'm I'm quite comfortable with with the military having secrets. I am. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I guess this would kind of fall under that purview to me. You know, if the military had this technology, I'm fucking great with it being a secret. I am. But, if, it, if it's helping but it's, military keep the country safe, that's fine. But it's my not the pro- military. Exactly. My problem comes in that these are being given to local police departments, and these local police departments are using it outside that scope. Yes. So, Exactly. Issue. If if it's something that local police are allowed to use in their day to day purview, you know, their day to day activity, then we have right. 
But see, right. so I do have a line where I think it is okay that it's used, just not I have. It's just that I have a problem with who is using it and how. Well, I, I don't even have a problem with them using it, but I, I think we had a right to know that this was being dirt boxes were being flown on civilian planes and just catching up all the cell signals. We had a right to know they were being flown on civilian aircraft. We had a right to know about IMRI catchers. We didn't. We know all of this stuff now uh, because of, you know, Jacob Applebaum and Glenn Greenwald and Christopher Snowden and, and all that. But it shouldn't have taken that for us to know that that technology was being out there unless it was being used as a shortcut. And, you know, traditional police technology techniques were no longer being used as a cost-cutting measure or whatever. Um, because I am fine if I am... I am fine with traditional investigative techniques. I think they're fantastic. They don't tend to catch up a lot of innocent people and stuff. They also don't tend to catch a lot of guilty people, and that's okay, too. Um... But just this is just so egregious. You now no longer have privacy anywhere. And I'm saying that. And I'm going to scroll up to something and read it in a minute. And you're going to understand why. I love my phone. I've got a semi-stupid phone simply because I like my privacy or the last little remaining vestigial teeny tiny points of it that are left. I like thinking that I still have some privacy somewhere that I am not always being monitored. But the truth is I probably always am. I'm really uncomfortable with the idea of that. And I have been for a long time. And that doesn't mean that I'm doing something wrong. It just means that I should feel comfortable in my home being alone with my family to say what I feel. You know, I shouldn't have to feel like I want to censor myself. And here's why. <laughs> I'm not even going to read the title of this. Any sound that Winston made above the level of a very low whisper would be picked up by the screen. Moreover, so long as he remained within the field of vision, which the metal plaque commanded, he could be seen as well as heard. There was, of course, no way of knowing whether you were being watched at any given moment. How often or on what system the thought police plugged in on any individual wire was guesswork. George Orwell, 1984. What was once a warning that sent shivers down readers' spines has turned into a blueprint for researchers and developers in technology companies. Taken in the context of the sudden media interest in Samsung's smart TV, never more has this passage been as relevant. The interest around the technology is that it allows the company and its partners to listen in on everything their users say. If there was anything that was erring towards the creepy line of big data, then this is most certainly it. 
When you pushed on whether the TV will listen in on your conversations, Samsung admitted that you should avoid having personal conversations in front of your TV. Their privacy policy even states, Please be aware that if your spoken words include personal or other sensitive information, that information will be among the data captured and transmitted to a third party through your use of voice recognition. Delving deeper into Samsung's privacy policy, they acknowledge that the information will be passed onto and used by a third party without giving any indication of who that third party may be. I imagine that it is this aspect that will perhaps be the most concerning for most people. Now, although it may seem that way, I don't want to single out Samsung. If anything, they have taken steps to be as transparent as they can be in explaining how this technology works and the potential privacy concerns that run alongside that. But this sudden media interest meant many will have started to look at themselves, started to ask themselves a very important question. Who is it that has access to our personal information? It is one thing, seemingly, to make the decision to share your information with one company. But what real control do we have over who else has access to it? We know from the Edward Snowden revelations that there are companies around the world whose entire existence is based on gathering much information about their users as possible, which have been forced to hand over that information, or worse, were used as data centers to be harvested without the company's knowledge. So is it time that we start educating ourselves? to start demanding to know more about what data is being gathered about us and how it is being used. Without a mini-revolution, without the appetite consumers, then this simply won't happen. Technologies like Samsung's smart TV will become the norm, not just the expensive, latest, must-have gadget on the market. And by then it will be too late for anyone that has a secret to hide or a personal conversation they want to have. This may sound dramatic, but it is already happening around us. Looking back 30 years ago, how many of us would have predicted how the Internet would change the way we live our lives? The message I hope I am making clearly is that we can't be passive in this digital revolution. We must start asking the probing questions. Who is it that is benefiting from our data? Because at the moment, it certainly isn't the general public. If we fail to start asking those questions and demanding answers... We will have no right to complain when our privacy is passively or purposefully intruded upon. I like the old TVs, the old big fat TVs with the tube. I'm starting to really like old technology. Well, as it says in the article, Samsung are taking a lot of flack over this. Well, but, but they're the that's only, only ones because t- they're being open. Well, they're All the, the other companies telling- are doing it. Sony mm-hmm. has smart TVs that have voice oh, yeah. recognition. So do all the other companies. Apple have been doing it on their equipment for years. All right, so I have a question. So does the fact that my TV doesn't have voice recognition in it, does that make it outside of this? It's the voice recognition software that's the important thing. Yeah, voice recognition software. And if you have an Xbox, that that stupid thing, that, that, um, what the hell was that thing? Connect. Yeah. That my, was another one. Hmm? My son has a Connect. Yeah, when he's done using it, he may want to just unplug it from the system. He does. Good. Yeah, anything anything that links that way uh, 
and uses voice recognition is probably gathering data. Yeah. Well, just about all technology gathers data. But, well, uh, it does. This but is more worrying data. <laughs> well, well I, the, your cell phones do. Um, yeah. Any Android cell phone has it in there. Yeah. Right. But, I mean, you know that that's there, you know, and you can, well, there's not much you can do with that. I, I You already know I stick mine in a, you know, blocket pocket, and that's because, you know, it's not, and I'm not doing anything wrong. I just like the idea that I can have a private conversation without what I'm saying getting out to third parties, whoever those third parties might be. Looking at you, NSA. Um, yeah. no, funny, <laughs> funny if it was uh, something that pleasant. Yeah, exactly. It's advertising companies instead, mostly. Well, Eesh. you know, yeah. it is, but I mean, that's what I don't get. Does this not bother anyone? Um, weirdly, one group that kicked up a hell of a lot of fuss about this sort of thing <laughs> years ago, but right. the mainstream didn't pay attention, mm-hmm. was um, gamers. Well, of course they started they-, they started listening to what the gamers were doing and started <laughs> um, giving you tailored advertising inside your online games. Right. No one and, really and wants that. gamers didn't like that. Well, who can blame them? But the rest of the public went, oh, you're just complaining. Oh, I you're just the, gamers, the The biggest issue that the gamers have with this type of shit isn't the fact that somebody's spying on them. I think it's the fact that motherfuckers are slowing down my bandwidth. Yeah, that too. They cost me three microseconds. No. Hey, three microseconds can be, you know, a lot. <laughs> you know that yourself. Um, this yeah, I just, up, just upgraded my computer and I get an extra 20 frames a second on my online games. Um, <laughs> Is it helping? Not really, I'm not very good. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear God, I'm still happy when my shit doesn't say buffering. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but you're in BFE over there. Hey, I have bonded DSL now, I'll have you know. Damn. You mm-hmm. go, girl. It's the latest and greatest thing here. You're moving right into the nineteen. You're moving into the nineteen nineties, girl. You go. <laughs> um, and I think this might be the last one. And then, very, I'm going to let you talk about that other stuff I stuck oh, right, in the yeah. bottom. Um, because it should be okay. This was written by Paul Levy. Uh, from the University of Brighton. Privacy is the real disruptive force in digital technology. Did you recently buy a Samsung smart TV? (laughs) If you are worried about privacy, you may be wondering how smart that decision was following the manufacturer's warning that its voice-activated televisions may record personal information, that is your conversations, and transmit them to a third party. The voice-activated television monitors spoken conversations to listen for commands and transmit them to another firm, which performs the voice analysis. Samsung stated that the televisions may even do so when the voice activation feature is turned off. That's disturbing. Such privacy snafus seem to be the norm these days. 
Only recently, Google, following a UK Information Commissioner's Office ruling, agreed to rewrite its privacy policy to make it more accessible and to allow users to find its controls more easily, and most pertinently, for its privacy policy to comply with the UK Data Protection Act. The Netherlands, too, threatened Google with a £12 million fine if it didn't put its affairs in order. Facebook had to take similar steps in 2014, yet the changes do not fundamentally improve privacy, but simply ensure the way our privacy is treated is easier to understand, especially where our data is part of a business model based on targeted advertising. Simply put, when we sign up, we agree we still agree to share our data. An open-door approach to data. Most of the changes to Google's privacy policy concern clearly informing users how their information will be treated. The default setting for users will still be will still will still be allow will still be allowed the use of their data unless they specifically opt out. Getting this data out of you and passing it around is the deal users make in exchange for free advertising-based web services. But it's endlessly apparent how firms that are evangelical about the need for users' data to be accessible to them are nevertheless vague about how they then use it. Terms and conditions are long and bamboozling. The Information Commissioner described Google's guidelines on privacy as baffling. And Google isn't acting proactively, but dragging its feet until the regulator demands action. Facebook's apparently easier to read and more accessible privacy policy now permits data to pass between Facebook, WhatsApp, and Instagram, an approach that has bought the scrutiny of German and Dutch data regulators. Facebook's reasoning is that we'll see adverts that are more relevant. The company is only trying to help. Yet consumers' concern remain largely because the pace of the change and this transition to a default of openness has arrived so quickly. When people find out what happens to their data, many are shocked at what they've signed up to. So what is really going on here, and what should we be concerned about? Okay. Privacy is a disruptive technology. The term disruptive technology is often found alongside terms such as 3D printing, <clears throat> robotics, artificial intelligence, or, and I'm adding this myself, electronic cigarettes. According to the Harvard, the Harvard Business Review, disruptive technologies introduce a very different package of attributes from those mainstream consumers historically value, and they often perform far worse along one or two dimensions that are particularly important to those customers. At first then disruptive technologies tend to be used and valued only in new markets or in new applications. Data harvesting, data mining, and, ana and analysis has transformed the way we look at our mobile devices and computer screens. Content is now adaptive and responsive to our behavior, but that does not necessarily mean that these technologies are technologies that many of us want or need. Our online communication tools, such as email and social media, largely free at point of use, are based upon optimizing revenue through targeted advertising. For this to be cost-effective, the underlying technology was required to be disruptive, both in the way we socially interact and its capacity to deliver commercial value. We have all noticed how social media has fundamentally disrupted our lives, but until fairly recently, the underlying systems and software that can unravel who we are and what we are doing 
and share this data in order to influence our consumer behavior have been paid little attention. But not everyone is against this disruption. As Edward Snowden pointed out in 2013, public indifference is one of Google's biggest allies in the privacy war. So Google's reluctance should come as no surprise, because its current direction is based on disrupting its users' privacy. As is often the case, one disruptive technology gives rise to another. The dark web, dark web is one reaction to the attempt to disrupt our freedom to be private. But the jury is out on whether efforts to reframe the current debate will succeed. The privacy-friendly Facebook competitor Elo was given considerable publicity, but has already been written off by many, while the privacy regarding cloud storage Spider Rock, Spider Oak, seeks to challenge the likes of Google Drive and Drops Dropbox. But these are just tiny eddies in a river of free-to-use online services, which treat user privacy as salable, tradable commodity for corporations. Measure and countermeasure. So there seems to be a growing battle between corporations and users. Google, Microsoft, Amazon, and other firms have been making using their muscle to pay firms to create ad-blocking software to stop blocking. I believe this war has only just begun with the tweaks to manage privacy, both to strip it away and to protect it, representing a volatile, emerging, disruptive force. Even as Google Glass freaked most users out, the battle for access to our private thoughts and concerns is just getting going. The challenge for those innovating to protect privacy is to come up with viable alternatives that can be, that can change the current status quo. In the meantime, perhaps you should be careful what you say in your own living room. <laughs> that about sums it up. Yes. I, really I, I, I used to amuse myself by downloading my Google and Facebook metadata to see what they had. Uh, it was usually very empty. Uh, and this is one reason why I still use a PC, is because mm. you can block a lot of this data grabbing. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. That's exactly why I like a wired PC. Yeah. I like a wired PC a lot more than I like a tablet, a lot more than I like my phone. There is a certain level of security and privacy that comes with that that you just don't get with the other technologies that make everything easier. You know? Oh, and interestingly, that last bit about the um, ad-blocking software to stop blocking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been using an ad-blocking anti-blocker blocker for about a year. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't get any adverts at all. None. I Even don't... ones they try and force on you. Yeah, I don't really get any. Um, yeah. And that's because, again... I said I like my privacy. I wasn't kidding. And uh, I have um, I have Google developers tools. Yes. And the reason I have I like Google. I do. I just I like it that it sandboxes everything. It has a lot of features that are really great. But if you use developers tools, you can force it to create errors so that no one can force a cookie on you. You can mm-hmm. force that, which is probably the best part about developers tools. Well, Jeannie? Yeah. Yes? Anything? No. <laughs> no. Okay. She, she's off hiding her <laughs> son's connect. <Yeah. laughs> she's probably curling up under her blanket. I'm sure she's freezing. No, but I was just having a conversation with Bernie, and he's like, what did you say about my connect, Mom? 
I said, I said, that you don't plug it because it's voice activated. And my 16-year-old says, well, you know, Mom, if you don't, people can hear that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and, I like, and I like that he did the little stutter thing because you and I both know he was going to say shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, yeah, it's it's um, data mining. It's the 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 big up-and-coming uh, moneymaker, which is why Facebook and Google are doing it. Yeah, um, well, Microsoft and Apple are a bit behind. But what was that thing you said was a Facebook competitor? Because i got to tell you, I just got Pinterest. L-O-E-L-L-O. L-O's okay. very Never heard of that. basic at the moment. Okay. Actually, um, Alex and I are both on L-O. So am I. Um, yeah, and it's, I'm like, oh my god, it's it's a fucking community of artists. I'm like, yes. talk about feeling completely out of fucking place. We could all go back to using LiveJournal. <laughs> I never had a LiveJournal. Oh, I, I, wrote, I wrote everything down with paper and pen. Yeah. Am I the only fucking person on the planet that is like... A tech tard to all of this stuff? <laughs> well, I, I'm a geek, so yeah. I'm, I've used all the media sites at one point or another, back Why from when they were invented. Hang out with me? What? Why do you two hang out with me? Is that so you guys can go around and say, well, our dumb friend, Jeannie? No. No. Because I don't know about any of this shit. That's okay. That's not why we like you. Yeah, I mean, if you're not using it, you don't need to know about it. So, what yeah. is what is, it doesn't matter, and yeah. I've got to tell you, LO makes me feel really intimidated. Yes, all these wonderful paintings showing up and stuff. You're like, oh yeah, right, paintings yeah. and <laughs> oh yeah, models and and actors, and it's like, oh my god, how the fuck did I get an invite here, and why am I here? <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> I got Pinterest was for recipes, right? I, I've have you seen my Pinterest, Jeannie? No. Mine's all. Look at anybody's. I go to the little search bar and I type in paleo chocolate. You, you would. And, and you paleo would, and cake and things like that, Jim. <laughs> you, would, you would like mine. Mine's just mostly, you know, my stuff. Home, I'm, home I'm setting stuff. I have stuff. a Pinterest account, but I've probably never a, used it. <laughs> I, had a vapor, I had a vapor friend me on there the other day, and, and they're like, we want to add you to this board. And I'm like, this is not for vaping, <laughs> this, this is for food. This this is for my stuff. Yeah. My stuff on there is is nothing special. It's all like, you know, projects I want to try or things I want to do. I've got a whole freaking board on there. It's all nothing but breakfast recipes. Oh my god, Jan, I forgot <laughs> to tell you. I am so fucked. Okay. My dad sent me a friend request on Facebook today. <laughs> really? Yeah. My my niece sent me an email. Are are you on Facebook? I'm like you do realize like all my my the rest of my family won't admit to being related to me on there. <laughs> it's probably for their realize, own good. Yeah, do you do you know that I can already imagine the phone calls that I'm going to get <laughs> and I can tell you right now the exact look that my dad is going to be giving me over the top of his glasses through the phone. Well, you can you can set anything you send out there custom. Yeah, that you, you it goes to everybody, from, but exclude yeah. him. Yes. Yeah. So it's really not a big deal. 
I, I just went, I am self. I, no, no, no. You, you can friend him. Just, um, he's going to see everything you have family. Yeah. now. And you can have, yeah. You can make a separate list for just things that family is allowed to say. You know? And, really? yeah. Huh. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't bother. Because I don't put anything personal on my Facebook. You know, you've seen it. It looks like the week in news. <laughs> There's nothing personal I, on I there. I go weirdly the other way. I put personal stuff on there, but I'm I'm really good at making it non-specific. Yeah, there's only like five people on the planet that actually know your real name. <laughs> Me? No, very. Oh, very. Yeah. Jan, you just really hard to figure out. Really? Mine is really hard to fit my name. I'm sorry. I was being a smart ass. I was going to say, I mean, I, I think it's pretty simple, actually. Yeah, yours is pretty simple. That's like, you know, people are like, is that your real name? Um, yeah. 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 I, I'm, I'm Jeannie. I never, you know, everybody's like, oh, well, you know, that's your screen name. What's your real name? No, that's my real See, name. <laughs> I'm, I'm always surprised that Facebook haven't uh, figured out that I'm not using my real name. <laughs> I think it's because of the spelling throws them off. Yeah, that's why I did it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, their their algorithms not really that complicated. Although some of the stuff that they're tagging now is they're tagging as being like adverts or spam is really stupid. Yeah, I mean they're they're, well, they're tagging. Yeah, and what are they doing about Native Americans? In this name thing that they're doing, I mean, are they are they going to Running Wolf and saying this is not your real name? Yes, that is just fucking beyond stupid. Yeah, and people in the village of I believe it was <clears throat> C word in the UK were <laughs> very annoyed when they couldn't put their town name in. <laughs> <sighs> well, you know that one's more understandable though. Names vary because you have to understand. I got pulled over by, um, I got pulled over in Texas by the police, mm-hmm. and in this great big cowboy, um, and I can call him that because he did have on cowboy boots and in like a forty gallon hat. Um, says to me, he said, "Ma'am, do you have an official ID?" I said, um, "That's my Pennsylvania." State issued driver's license, sir. He said, ma'am, this is not an official ID. I said, yes, yes, sir, it is. He said, I, I've heard, I have heard of some towns before, but <laughs> Shingle House can't really be a real place. <laughs> oh, God. So what you're saying is lots of British tourists really better avoid that area because some of our place names are just old. Oh my god! The guy's head might just explode. Or, yeah. yeah. Do yeah, you see areas- some names of Amish towns in this state? <laughs> no, I mean, but you're going to tell us. Tell us. They have some pretty filthy names. <laughs> oh, there's some really good ones from the UK. Oh yeah. <laughs> Most of yeah. which go on to appear elsewhere in the world. <laughs> yeah. Because you do know that California is in West Lothian, don't you? West Lothian. Yes, near Lothian. Edinburgh. 
I did not know One of that. the coldest, wettest places in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> in complete contrast to... <laughs> yeah. Oh, I it mean, goes better than that. There's an area in Australia where you have the Scottish towns of Stirling, Perth and Pitlochry. And as you travel along the road, the towns are in the same order that they'd be if you drove along this road in Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> just wider apart because Australia's bigger. It just shows so you, yeah, a lot of immigrants did not have any imagination whatsoever. Mm-hmm. That's oh. just so weird. <laughs> but Jan, yes, an Amish-founded town. Mm-hmm. Okay, I mean, and very, I bet various. Oh, very probably doesn't watch Top Gear. I we're Top Gear junkies in this house, but oh, I watch Top just, Gear. Yeah, yeah, it was even on Top Gear once. Um, the uh, Top Gear crew came through, and they, they had to stop. And I don't think they realized when they stopped in front of this sign that this was an Amish-founded town. But the name of it is Intercourse. <laughs> uh, the UK's got them even worse. Not not worse, but you look at them and you're like, <laughs> yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, south of England especially. You, you just go on Google Earth and... Is it Have a tour around the town names. Austria or Switzerland or whatever that's got a town named fucking? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, seriously, I'm sure it's not pronounced that way. There are there several are towns around the world called um, Bastard. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which is, uh, it's like, hmm, what, did he stub his toe when he found the location for the town? <laughs> I named this town, ow, oh, Bastard. <laughs> <laughs> I read a book once that was um, in the town, and I had to look it up to make sure it was real. Um, but they have Muff Ireland. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, hang on. I'm just going to go see if I can find some of the good <laughs> British ones. Um, yeah. Go for it. We could use a laugh. Oh, yeah. It's always good. Ah, here we go. Right. What have we got on this one? Bully Hall. Cock and take, slack bottom, shitting slack. bottom, <laughs> shittington, frigging hoe, <laughs> prick willow, nice. cocker mouth, See? sodom, nice. uh, Clapton's close. Mm. Bleeding close. Close passage. Uh, fruitful cock. That's a good one. <laughs> Giggleswick. Giggleswick. Dyke. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody laughs at that. Yeah. I don't know. I just, but yeah, there's a huge list. It's. Yeah. Um. Well, yeah, I know you say intercourse is bad. It's not really that bad. Yeah, there's Cox Gag Ohio. Cox Gag. Oh, Ohio. The, yeah, the one, the ones that really get you though. Fudge pack. <laughs> My God. Liquors. <laughs> These are place names. <laughs> you'd move to a new town and never want to. You'd never want to tell people your address over the phone. <laughs> Oh, yeah, Jan, we have a Pussyville, Pennsylvania. 
So, I mean, if you wanted worse than intercourse. Yeah. Well, you know, everybody's got to live somewhere. Oh, there's a good one. Cock shot. I don't know how we got on this Ushiny, and I think it was me, but... Um, <laughs> That's okay. I think we actually needed it. Um, ah, F the FDA's found the site. Yeah. Larry, you seriously have a place named Twat? Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. Twat Ornky Scotland. Really? <laughs> you know, it's it's not like they named the place. <laughs> Oh. And God love the state of Washington, Whiskey Dick Mountain. <laughs> that was probably uh, somebody from over here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, what are the, what are the founders of these places thinking? You know, hey, you know what? We're gonna we don't want anybody to live here, so we we're gonna keep this secluded, and we're gonna give it the most fucked up name. <laughs> well, isn't it Minnesota or something that's got the town of Hell? And it's one well, of the coldest a- places in fucking yeah. existence. <laughs> yep. Yep, it's really nice too. You can get uh you can get email email. You can get regular mail postmarked from hell. It's and it's this little teeny tiny little teeny tiny post office. And they do more postmarking than they do anything else. <laughs> That's kinda why they exist. It's like the town only has two thousand people, but we employed <laughs> thirty in the post office. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it um, it does kind of crack me up how these things are. Now, very. Do you want to explain this to people? Ah, the 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 UN story. Yes. Mm. Right. Um, one of the things the UN does is allegedly allegedly they allegedly do is is look after the welfare of all its all the peoples of all its member states and make sure they're being treated properly. (laughs) (laughs) But something came up last summer, which is a world first, because they've never done it before. But uh, the UK government is, specifically the Conservative Party, (laughs) is being investigated for the way it's been treating disabled people. Uh, this one is quite dear to my heart because I've been running this yes. gamut for the last five years. Uh-huh. Um, there are a couple of videos, but I'll play a sound clip from a short video which kind of explains the UN's announcement last summer. Hang on, I'll just uh, get the audio. The primary mandate of the treaty bodies is this country review, which is mandated by the treaty itself. Now, under several treaties, including the CRPD, there is or there are optional protocols which give additional mandates to the treaty body. In case of the optional protocol to the CRPD, one of these additional mandates is the inquiry procedure. The inquiry procedure is basically about grave and systemic violations of human rights in a country. 
There, the issue has been raised, and the government did not really make effective uh, actions to fix the situation. It is a very high threshold uh, thing. The violation should really be grave and really systemic. And it cannot be based on a gossip. An inquiry procedure against a country has a very, very high profile internationally also. It should be established. And the procedure is highly confidential uh, until the outcome, the end of the procedure. The committee has not completed an inquiry procedure yet. But the committee started its first inquiry procedure against the United Kingdom. I wanted to share this with you. This is a public piece of information. Nothing else about the inquiry procedure is public. Okay? So we only know that the United Kingdom has the privilege to be made accountable through the inquiry procedure by the CRPD committee regarding grave and systemic violations of persons with disabilities in the United Kingdom. We will see. I am really curious what uh, will happen and what this inquiry procedure is about. So, to sum that up, the first country in the world to be investigated for systematic abuse of citizens is the UK because of the way disabled people are being treated. Well, my, my, your country made a choice to be socialist. That is fine. Mm -hmm. That is absolutely fine. You now have a government come into place that has decided they want to essentially sell off the NHS. They yep. want to take everything and completely privatize it. And that's not going to work at all. I mean, a mixed system will work most places. You have to have some give and take. But um, they want to take and turn it all over to large businesses. The thing that's always kind of killed me about uh, the UK and the way it does things, and I don't agree with this, is the breaks the tax breaks that it gives to corporations. If yeah, it really there's a believed, lot of argument going on about that. If it really believed that everybody was in this together and everybody had to pitch in, uh, they wouldn't do that shit. But yeah. they do. Uh, you know, and instead of dealing with billions and trillions of pounds, they're stepping over billions and trillions of pounds and trampling on people that barely make enough to eat. Yep. Which is just absolutely amazing to me. Well, I'm going to drop the link for the um, end propaganda um, website. A lot, a lot of those people have died. Yes. This is a list of, of people who have died having had their benefits taken away because they weren't ill. You know, I don't, I don't think you should call that benefits. I mean, most of those people are, are truly ill and they paid into the system for a long time. It, it's sort of the same thing we have with Social Security here. Yeah. You know, it, it really is. It, it's the same thing we have with Social Security and disability. I don't really consider those 
benefits, but I also don't think, I, I think no one wants to, I can't say no one. A lot of people really don't want to be on welfare. There are some that do, but a lot of them don't. Yeah. And I the mean, problem I don't want is, to be, I don't want to be on I know. benefits, but I have no choice. I know. I know. So. I know. And what I'm saying is for a lot of people now, the economic reality is that a lot of the opportunities are no longer there. This mm-hmm. is why I keep saying we really need to have a radical rethink of what money is because there's going to be a point where every business is going to be able to replace us with an automaton. I, they yeah. were saying, what was I reading last week? They've actually got a RoboCop, a functioning RoboCop that they're going to start deploying in you know, private security services next year. There goes um, the private security jobs. Do you know but, what I mean? Uh, yeah. All these jobs you think are essential are going to be gone. Well, We're all give, going to be in the same boat. To give the Go listeners um, an, an, an idea, uh, that last link I gave, the last person on the list, Linda Wooten, RIP. Linda Wooten was dying in a hospital bed when the Department for Work and Pensions removed her benefits. She died nine days after being found fit for work. You know, yeah, she was really healthy. Yeah. Well, my favorite story actually was when the guy who had no arms and no legs was told he was fit for work. Yeah. Then he had to hire somebody to come in and take him to his hearing, like pick yes. him up and take him to his hearing. A, a lot of this stuff is really ridiculous. There was a guy. And, there was a guy reported last week who was told. The sick note he got from his doctor wasn't right, so they were going to stop his money. So he went back to the doctor, got him to change the note, went back, no, it's still not right. Went back, got a third one, went back, still not right. They were basically using any little tiny excuse to stop paying sick people their money. You know... And that's what the conservative gov- government part of the government has been up to. Um, oh, and then, of course, there's the last part of this story, which is, oh, this is the icing on the cake. Right. So because there are so many deaths, um, some charities estimate somewhere around 10,000 since 2010, Uh it was decided that they really should have some sort of investigation. So that was begun last year. Um, but it was announced last week that, no, the, there's these 49 really serious cases, but they're not even going to bother investigating those properly. They're just going to take the Department for Work and Pensions word that they'd done everything they could to help these people. You know, that's kind of the problem with a giant bureaucracy. Yeah. You know, um, that that really is the problem. And, and I'll tell you this: I've always said I don't mind my tax money going to help people who actually need it. I've never that's minded that. Out. No, I know. But what I'm telling you is that's what I don't mind. It's the people that don't need it. That bother me. And it's honestly a larger problem is corporate welfare. Yes. If we cut out corporate welfare tomorrow, 
I'm not saying we could ever balance the budget, but what I am telling you is the amount of stupid expenditures would go way down and the amount of bureaucracy would go way down. So well, the Michael amount of Morris has commented in chat like the politicians. Yes. Yes. What, and and especially in the EU, can't. the politicians take up huge quantities of the public money. Yes. For all their expenses. They do. So let me ask you this one, Jan. What do you think about Obama's uh, latest runoff at the mouth about, you know, we should provide two years of college for free? I think it sounds lovely, but everything that a government has. Okay. And this is where I'm screwed up. I know we need a radical rethink. I would be happy with no government at all. But everything that the government has, it has because it stole from someone. I don't mind them stealing my funds to help people who need it. I do mind them stealing my money to drone bomb people I have never met and will never meet that they have made enemies of. I do mind them wasting it on stupid programs like building a fucking camel statue in Iraq. I do mind them wasting it on fucking puppet shows talking about safe sex education, which is something parents should be taking care of. I I do mind them wasting it on this fruitless fucking crusade against electronic cigarettes. I do mind them wasting it on banning smoking. I do mind them wasting my money on going after bar owners. The list of what I hate my government doing with my money is huge. I hate all those things. Taking care of people who need it is not something I have a problem with. And that's the only thing I don't have a problem with. I don't know. I don't know what the solution is. I don't know how you fix it. But I don't think two years of college is going to do anything for anybody except it's going to bail out the university system just like it's bailing out the banks just like they're going to try to put on our backs bailing out the insurance companies. That's what I think. Yeah, that's because the insurance companies were stupid enough to insure the banks mainly. Yeah. I don't know. I, that's what I think. I well, have you're literally asking about the ban on M855, and I have no idea what that is. The ban on M855? Hang on. Let me, let me look but yeah, I mean, up. and that's my thing. I'm sitting there and I'm, I was on my computer doing stuff and Paul was listening to this and I looked up and I said, that is such fucking bullshit. And Paul looked at me and I said, number one. Oh, nice. B-A-T-F-E to ban common AR-15 ammo. No. <laughs> oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'll read that when you're done. Go ahead. But I mean, I, and I was just like, and what the fuck is that going to solve? Do you know what that's going to mean? That's going to mean that these kids that have been handed everything all their lives and had this nice little sheltered experience of growing up and being able to tell their parents, well, you have to do this for me, are now getting two years to go party their fucking asses off with no parental supervision, which is exactly what it's going to amount to. Well, it's it's a bailout. You do nothing but pile on more debt to bail out a bunch of colleges that don't know how to manage their fucking money in the first place. 
Well, we're bailing out the university system, which we shouldn't be doing. Uh, a lot of these things are, they're clouded in doublespeak. Uh, my, my favorite thing, I have bone spurs in my spine, okay? I do a job physically that it kills me to do, but I get up every day and I go to work because I still can. You know? But I pay into disability and God forbid I should ever get disabled. Because Rand Paul seems to think, if I have a backache, I should just suck it up and go to work, princess. Well, I have bone spurs in my spine, and let me tell you, at some point, they grow into your spinal cord, and then you're paralyzed. I'd hate to think that I couldn't still work, but I do manual labor. Not because I'm stupid, but because it's all that's available here. And if that is gone... It galls me and it kills me inside to think that someone I really respected thinks that about me. And it makes me rethink the entire system. Everything I think, everything I believe, I know a lot of these people are not well. I know a lot of them couldn't survive or have a job or, or any of that sort of thing. And I can roll a lot of that problem actually back to Ronald Reagan shutting down some of the mental hospitals. The prison sent, the prison became like warehouse for many mentally ill people because of those being closed. But hey, we saved some money, so it's all good. And yet, the government still grows. I think you have to reduce the size and scope of government and if you're going to choose to let the government care for the people, then maybe you shouldn't have bureaucrats in charge of any of this shit at all. I don't know how realistic that is, but that's what I would like to see. So now we were talking about the AR-15 ban. Thank you, Duro. In a move clearly intended by the Obama administration to suppress the acquisition, ownership, and use of AR-15s and other 223 caliber, caliber general purpose rifles, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives unexpectedly announced today that it intends to ban the commonplace M855 ball ammunition as a, quote, armor-piercing ammunition. This decision continues Obama's use of his executive authority to impose gun control restrictions and bypass Congress. It isn't even the third week of February, and the BATFE has already taken three major, major executive actions on gun control. First, it was a major change to what activities cons constitute regulated manufacturing of firearms. Next, BATFE reversed a letter less than a year old position on firing a shouldered pistol. Now, BATFE has released a framework for determining whether certain projectiles are primarily intended for sporting purposes within the meaning of 18 U.S.C. 921A, 17C, which would eliminate M855's exemption to the armor-piercing ammunition prohibition and make further exemptions nearly impossible. By way of background, federal law imposed in 1986 prohibits the manufacture, importation, and sale by licensed manufacturers or importers. Hang on, I'm going to stick this link because I'm, I'm just reading this here. So I'm going to stick this in your chat here so you can put it up for the actual chat because my chat hasn't moved since I came back on the air. I can't put anything in it. Um, 
manufacture importation and sale by license manufacturers or importers, but not possession of a, quote, projectile or projectile core, which may be used in a handgun and which is constructed entirely from one or a combination of tungsten alloys, steel, iron, brass, <sighs> bronze, beryllium, copper, or depleted uranium. Depleted uranium? Really? Did they think we're firing insurgent rounds here? <laughs> because there are handguns capable of firing M855, it may be used in a handgun. It does not, however, have a core made of the metals listed in the law. Rather, it has a traditional lead core with a steel tip. Therefore, it never should have been considered armor-piercing. Nonetheless, BATFE previously declared M855 to be armor-piercing ammunition, but granted it an exemption as a projectile primarily intended to be used for sporting purposes. Now, however, BATFE says that it will henceforth grant the sporting purposes exemption only to two categories of projectiles. Category 1, 22 caliber projectiles. A 22 caliber projectile that otherwise would be classified as armor-piercing ammunition under 18 U.S.C. 921A-17B will be considered to be primarily intended to be used for sporting purposes under 921A-17C if the projectile weighs 40 grains or less and is loaded into a rimfire cartridge. Category 2, all other caliber projectiles. Except as provided in Category 1, 22 caliber rimfire, projectiles that otherwise would be classified as armor-piercing ammunition will be presumed to be primarily intended to be used for sporting purposes under Sections 921A-17C if the projectile is loaded into a cartridge for which the only handgun that is readily available in the ordinary channels of commercial trade is a single-shot handgun. ATF, nevertheless, retains discretion to deny any applications for a sporting purposes exemption if substantial evidence exists that the ammunition is not primarily intended for such purposes. BATFE is accepting comments until March, 20, March 16th, 2015 on this indefensible attempt to disrupt ammunition for the most popular rifle in America. Uh-huh. It is okay. the most popular caliber of rifle for um, deer hunting okay. everywhere in this country. I'm putting this in the chat, too. This is how you comment, and I need to take a drink, so maybe somebody could read that when I stick it in here. Uh, ATF e email is... APA comments at ATF.gov uh, Fax area 202-648-9741 Mail Denise Brown Mail Stop 6N 602 Office of Regulatory Affairs Enforcement Programs and Services Bureau of yeah, <laughs> I'll just alcohol, copy and tobacco, it. and firearms yes. and explosives. Ninety nine New York Avenue, NE, Washington D.C. two zero two two six. Attention, APMO comments. For further information, contact Denise Brown, Enforcement Programs and Services, Office of Regulatory Affairs, Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives. 
U.S. Department of Justice, 99 New York Avenue, N.E., Washington, D.C., telephone number 202-648-7070. Yeah. So, yeah. Thanks, Weird, girl. Weirdly. That was a fucking depressing thing. Well, it's better to know and to know we can attempt to stop it. I, I love the out for single-shot handguns. <sighs> Uh, right. By that reading, you could probably use a 32 copper point subsonic that will blow a hole through any known uh, body armor, but it'd be legal and it wouldn't be classed as armor piercing. Yeah. yeah um, we went to the Great American Outdoor Show over the weekend. We were in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania all weekend. First time um, in all my life that I've been to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and I have lived here all of my life, but eight and a half years. Um, so I did see the Pennsylvania Capitol building. It's really kind of cool. Um, but you have absolutely no idea the number of AR-15s that were for sale down there. Um, Go ahead. But by and large, for the most part, most people that I know hunt with a 223. It's more accurate. It's it's great ammunition, and if we're not in a war, it's pretty cheap. Now, well, God forbid, you know, while we were in active military maneuvers in the fucking desert, it was hard to get your hands on. Um, we ended up, we went into the Bass Pro down there. They have a huge Bass Pro store down there, too. And we bought a couple of bags of Winchester... 223 cases because it was a really decent price on Brat. Um, holy shit, I'm glad we bought them. You know. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, this is just stupid. Is this not going to just force more people to go back to using 762? Mm. <laughs> you, Am I missing something? <laughs> no, but it's it's just another it's just another thing they're doing to make things difficult. You know, you know what I mean? I'd much prefer people to have 223s than 762s. <laughs> well, yeah. The government doesn't feel that way just yet. Give them time. They'll come around to that way of thinking, too. Um, I don't know. This is just normal. So, um, It's just another dirty, underhanded way of taking guns off the streets that are currently in the hands of law-abiding citizens. It's okay, though, because all the politicians that write this shit, they're all protected by people who carry guns. Yeah, 9mm hollow-point ammo, usually. Yeah. Mm, good stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah. Wow, that makes me... Uh, I really... That pisses me off. Um, so, yeah. I guess head to ammoseek.com and get yourself a deal while you still can. Um... Oh, did you see the? Did you see the? Did you see the ammunition that I posted? <laughs> yes, I did. We got, I didn't. got a couple. Of, we got a couple of boxes of it while we were down there. Um, we got some some federal, and well, a bunch of companies are coming out with these uh, pressed metals. Now, <laughs> home defense. Have you seen them? Um. Now you know you you know what I use. You know what I use for for home defense, but these these pressed metal are really kind of cool. Um, so we grabbed a box of them, but 
one of the biggest things that I had an issue with with living in the city yeah. is not knowing how much of a dumbass the, the person on the other side of the, the drywall for me was. Okay, and I say that because back in the back in the late eighties and early nineties when I lived in Dallas, Texas, nine millimeters the Glock was big. You know, the Glock was the bestest thing on the market. Everybody had to have a nine. <laughs> I like mine. I do. And, well, I don't have a problem with them. But if my next door neighbor doesn't know shit about firearms and goes down to Guns R Us and buys himself a 9mm and starts and starts unloading with this motherfucker in his apartment, the chances of it going through his drywall and my drywall and killing me in my bed was not very low. So when we saw this ammunition at the show, my husband and I are looking at it and we're like, you know, that's a really cool thing. This would be really good for people live in apartment complexes and stuff because, you know, <laughs> at least they're not going to kill their neighbor if they're a bad shot. This stuff is is made to blow out when it hits a soft target. Yeah, the bullet um, turns inside out, basically, when it hits. Yes. No, it, it disintegrates. It goes to shrapnel. Yeah, it's not quite that simple. Because, um, so- yeah. This stuff really does. I mean, this yeah. stuff really does blow out. In, it, when it goes into ballistic gel, it goes out like shrapnel jam. Yeah. It'll penetrate like up to 8 to 10 inches. But that part that goes in the 8 to 10 inches is very small because for the most part, this stuff is going out into shrapnel yeah. when it gets into the ballistic gel. And I was just really impressed <laughs> with yeah, this. It's, it's a style so of flushet. Yeah, yeah, if it does what it's supposed to do, yeah. this is a really good round for people that are concerned about collateral. Yeah, you know, and I don't have a problem with anybody shooting an intruder. If somebody breaks into your house, you have every right to drop that motherfucker dead. Well, not in every place, but yeah, I agree with you. You know that that is my personal view. You break into my house, it is my right. Well, to end your up until about six years ago, you didn't have that right in Florida. If somebody broke into your house, you literally had to jump out the fucking window to avoid killing them. Or avoid them killing you. It didn't oh, matter what you were uh, armed By with. the way, Jeannie, that uh, ammunition, it's a way around the ban on flechette rounds. Straight flechette rounds. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, the police were really, really, really don't like flechette rounds. <laughs> Because it puts big holes through... Well, it puts lots of little holes that turn into one big hole behind the body armor. Yeah. Um, That's what it's for. Here's the thing. Um, Speaking of body armor, I need to find the address we can comment on the uh, body armor ban on. And I'll get that for next week. Because that's ridiculous. Um... This is just another thing that they're doing to take away any sort of feeling because of control you might have. Is, is they're trying to get rid of all of this stuff. And there are so many people out there that honestly believe that if this stuff isn't around anymore, there won't be any criminals. And the criminals won't have guns. I got fucking news for you. <laughs> they're the only ones who will still they're have the guns. the only people that have this shit. <laughs> yeah, That's exactly. the problem. 
Um, oh, my. I posted an article, too, about um, the, sh- the city of Chicago and how much their crime rate is dropping now that their concealed carry p- permit applications are going through the roof. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, he- here's the thing. You can look at it one way, you can look at it another way. Honestly, when seconds count, the police are minutes away. And that's, they, they don't have to protect you. Unless they, you're me and they're an hour away. Right, but I'm saying they don't have to protect you either. The Supreme Court has said they have no obligation to protect you. I mean, most will, but some maybe don't feel the need, and that is apparently their right. Um, so, you know, I, I can tell you if you're a short woman and you've been attacked... And you grew up in Democrat country your whole life. Um, the idea of gun ownership becomes very attractive after that. So, yeah. You, you would be surprised. Trini, Trini, there's a, there's a, a link to even nicer ammo. <laughs> but it's, it's even harder to get hold of. Well, and, you know, I'm not... <laughs> I didn't think it was cool because it's armor piercing. I didn't, you know, I didn't pay attention to that part of the conversation. I was just like, holy shit, this stuff's like fragments right up when it goes through drywall. I'm like, and I'm like, this is great. That means, you know, if you got an idiot that lives next door to you, you recommend that they buy this ammo. Then you yep. at least know they're not going to kill you in your bed by accident. Yeah. Oh, hey, how's it going with your garage thing? The 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 garage extension that you never put on never put on and the wonderful gentleman from the tax assessor's office did not return my phone call today and I left another message for him because I'm really fucking pissed really pissed we haven't done a fucking thing but yet they want to raise my taxes because they say there's an addition on my house that isn't there but that wasn't there when your house was assessed this house hasn't been fucking assessed since 1973. Nothing in this fucking county has been. Because <sighs> oh, I followed the letter of the law and got this assessment permit for when we do redo this shed, which isn't supposed to raise my assessment any because it's a fucking shed. Oh. That sent me a notice in the mail that he's raising my taxes. For the addition we added on our house. I, I assure you, Jan, we did not put an addition on this fucking house. I know. Oh, my God. I was so pissed. No, no, no. I, and and I, I am with you on that. But did you look at that bullet? <laughs> <laughs> I know about the nice things. <laughs> oh, good God. Yeah, um... <laughs> Yeah, it's meant to make really big holes and things. I would bet it does exactly that. Wow. It won't penetrate through a wall, but it'll penetrate straight through a person. Yeah, I'm probably going to offend some people in the chat because evidently, um, if they don't think a 223 is quite big enough to hunt deer with, and I assure you it is. um, Yeah, you just shoot it in the head. It's old. Um, you know, I was raised by a gunsmith. If you if you hit what you're aiming, where you're aiming, um, you don't have a problem. Yeah, but back of the head my, or the spine. Yeah, yeah my yeah. home defense, the the pistol that I have in the house for me to use for home defense is a twenty two. And and I assure you, I can stop anybody mm-hmm. with that twenty two. 
It doesn't need to be big to stop. It just my, needs to make a hole, father, and you need to have a steady hand and yes. care play. My, my father has guaranteed, um, has, my father has made sure that I can defend myself with a twenty-two as well as somebody else can with a nine. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's all perspective. I don't like it. I can't shoot a nine millimeter anymore, Jan. Not with my hands the way they are. I can't. It, it's funny, that's the only gun that's comfortable for me to hold anymore with my hands the way they are. <laughs> so there you go. Mm-hmm. So it's well, just. You'd always try and get hold of an old 2.5. I could. Yeah. That's an idea. So, uh, 2.5 Magnum. Excellent. Uh, some of the old Derringers. <laughs> yeah. They'll make a big hole in somebody as well. <laughs> yeah. I well, think the, the recoil on that's a tender bitch. <laughs> <laughs> We have a we have a contender, and some of the barrels that can go on that thing, um, I my husband and the kids have have shot them, but I there was j- no nope no nope, thank you. Well, I said it earlier, but my favorite pistol rounds a thirty two subsonic. It's not meant to be fired at more than about fifteen feet, but when it hits something, it is like getting hit with a sledgehammer. Yeah, of course it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it, it's the ideal all-purpose man-stopper, because even if it's a policeman wearing a bulletproof helmet and you shoot him in the head, he's dead. Yeah. Because it'll snap his neck. <laughs> <sighs> but, you know, it's, I, I don't know much about weaponry at all. And, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> None of us do. What was that thing? I mean, I know how to do a lot of things. I've never had to do any of them. Could I if I had to? Yes, I would. Do I want to? No. Yeah. I really would not ever want to end someone else's life, but if that's what I have to do to protect my children, I will do it. No, I, I don't. Here's the thing. A lot of people use, like you said, the AR-15 hunt. There's nothing wrong with that. And it's not for hunting people. (laughs) You know, here's the thing. I think people have the wrong perspective on guns. Guns are tool. Your mind and your body is your weapon. That's it. And, you know, the the fucking crazy people out there, there there is nothing that's going to stop them from owning a gun, even if the sane law-abiding people all got up tomorrow and turned them all in. The crazy motherfuckers would still have them, and they would have no way to stop the crazies from doing what they're going to do with them. And that's a problem for me. What the hell was that movie with Sylvester Stallone and, and Wesley Snipes? And oh. oh, set in the, the go off to the future? The future. Yeah. 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 What, what the Nobody's fuck? got guns. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. I think that Demolition that's Man. what people really think. Because, I mean, and especially in not southern cities, because you don't go into the state of Texas, tell anybody they shouldn't have a gun. Um, <laughs> and that's what I liked about that state. Um, what I didn't like was everything that has more than two legs or less than two legs um, was either poisonous or wished it was poisonous and would come after you. Um, <laughs> but I, I just, I guess maybe it's because I was born and raised in the country. You were Born and raised in the country, too, Jan. So, I mean, you yes. understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, firearms were meant as a tool 
to yes. help a family survive, survive. and, and yeah. feed itself. Um, mm-hmm. They were never, they weren't meant as a tool to end human lives. Um, no. I, I guess that's, that's that the that a lot of people that live in a city that have police at their beck and call on a moment's notice um, seem to think that, well, that's what we have police for. Well, not everybody does. And sometimes you really don't, sometimes you don't always want, you know. Well, I yeah, I mean, I've made, I've made the comment before to people uh, from all over the world, in fact. Oh, Britain, nobody's got guns. It's like, ah. I grew up in a farming area. Everybody had guns. <laughs> <laughs> shotguns, 7.62 rifles. I mean, shotguns ever made. Yeah. You know. Um, oh, forget it, the shotguns. Uh See, if you really, really want to harm something, uh, a four-gauge elephant rifle, that, that, that'll put a hole through an elephant lengthways if it's standing behind a building. Um. You know, <laughs> honestly, like I said, to me, it's always just been a toll. That's all it's been. I, I don't, I don't know. I don't. I think this getting caught up in definitions and specifics. Well, they're actually, as I say, they're actually making it easier because they're defining what they expect people to be using. And they seem to have forgotten that there's all these different calibers and types of bullet that people will just switch to. Well, the, the AR is really popular now. Yeah. You know, it's and it's just because so many other guns are harder to get. Yeah. You know, when well, you not really, it's just well, that's they've the made one it, that arms manufacturers have been pushing. So, right, but yeah. I'm saying, you know, but they've made more hoops for you to jump through to get other guns. Yes. Yeah. That's see over here the most common hunting rifle seven six two, not two two, two two is just for per, uh, pest control. <laughs> That's what the nine is for here. Um. <laughs> and you know what's really big over here now, Barry, and it's really kind of funny. Um, the the Mosin-Nagant. Um, oh, yeah, you mentioned that before. You, yeah. you really honestly cannot believe the, the insane craziness that these people are now. I mean, two years ago, you could have bought one a brand spanking new antique dug up out of a potato field in Germany for $57. Beautiful rifles, too. Still packed in all of that fucking gunk that Hitler had <laughs> packed it in. And now you go to buy one, and they're, they're several hundred dollars. And I'm like, but the fucking thing weighs like 600 pounds. Why do you want <laughs> Well, it only well. weighs ten and a half pounds. You're exaggerating just a bit. Well, he's but just... you see, modern, you can get it refitted with a carbon fiber stock. <laughs> and Duro had to Duro had to put the name in there. Duro, and you know how that's pronounced? That gooky ass shit that Hitler had him packed in. <laughs> that's how you pronounce that. It is the most awful shit. Yeah, the smell is horrendous. It is awful, awful stuff. Yeah, but uh, it stops the metal rusting. Mm. Well, that's why you have brand spanking new antiques being dug up out of potato fields in Germany. And yes, a lovely full size seven six two bullet too. Mm. That it uses. 
The damn things, the ones with the bayonet. Have you ever seen one of the bayonets, Jan, that originally came on them? <laughs> no. I'm, it, I'm sure they were very impressive. It's 23.9 inches. I don't... It, Jesus or some shit like that. It's, it's fucking huge. <laughs> 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 it's, it's like... It, it is like this unicorn spike <laughs> hanging... I mean, it is just absolutely massive. And, and, and I'm yet... Like, and yet, what hardly ever, hardly ever that? was that thing ever used it's, because it's intimidation. Damn. It's an intimidation factor. That's that's why that was put on that particular. Yeah. But yeah, the the Nagants are one of the most accurate mass-produced rifle ever made. So but, yeah, you no, know, it's you know it's somebody that's really American when they call it a Mossa Nagat. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, I guess, I guess that's it, which, I mean... No, I, we didn't do the yoga! Oh, crap. You're right. <laughs> we didn't. Holy crap. No, it's I got 30 minutes. We're okay. Okay. <laughs> okay, let me open this. We're booked till then. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> you go, girl, because I have to open everything again. Go ahead. This is just fucking funny. Many New Yorkers scoff at Montana proposition to ban yoga pants. Jeannie Ma- says a ban is fucking stupid. There is no way in hell she's wearing them outside of her house. Go ahead. Okay. Should yoga pants be banned in public? No, no one will arrest you in New York City or state for wearing them, but the subject is getting some national attention. As CBS 2's Carolina Gusop reported, yoga pants may be the perfect fit in the yoga studio, but some argue that the clingy clothes are too revealing to wear in public. If you outlaw yoga pants, I'll have to walk around naked, one <laughs> yoga pant enthusiast said. It, by the way, that wasn't me either. <laughs> if they outlaw yoga pants, oops, next line. Um, but a state lawmaker in Montana says yoga pants are a little too close to being naked or <laughs> for real. <laughs> And he would like to make it illegal to wear them in public. Representative David Moore, Republican from Missoula, introduced a bill to the state house in response to a group of naked bicyclists who rolled through (laughs) Missoula in August. The proposal would expand the indecent exposure law to include any nipple exposure, including men's, and any garment that gives the appearance or simulates a person's buttocks, genitals, pelvic area, or female nipple. Moore said tight-fitting BG clothes could be considered... I'm sorry. Jan corrected my English... Yoga pants could be illegal in public. Fuck, now I lost my line. Moore said Um, tight-fitting beige clothing could be considered indecent exposure under his proposal. (laughs) Yoga pants could be illegal in public anyway, Moore said after the hearing. Moore and Walt Hill, a retired professor in Missoula, is am I pronouncing Missoula right? As far as I know. Okay. Initiated the drafting of the bill after... The bear-as-you-dare bicycle event outraged some residents of the Montana municipality last summer. Is this is this place like all priests and nuns or 
Something. I think they're in the last century. Okay. Early in the last okay. century. Well, yeah, because they must have missed the Madonna bullet bras in the eighties. I guess. Leotards in the eighties. Yeah, fearing that denying organizers an event permit would breach free speech. City officials allowed participants, many of them completely nude, to ride through downtown Missoula on August 17th, 2014. Moore said he wouldn't have a problem with people being arrested for wearing provocative clothing, but that he'd trust law enforcement officials to use their discretion. I want Montana to be known as a decent state where people can live within the security of laws and protect their children and associates from degrading and indecent practices. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Tuesday, in support of the measure, he said, I believe this bill is written preserving that reputation. Oh, God. Back in the tri-state area, cycling enthusiast, Sandy Goldfarb took strong exception to the idea. Why would politicians even get involved in what we wear, he said. Don't they have better things to do, like balance the budget? No. Uh, The answer to that, fella, is no. A practice body, mind, soul in Roslyn, where the uniform in class often doubles as day wear, psychological psychologist Lisa Lanner Asens yep that's her name (laughs) said the practice of wearing yoga pants in public is healthy everybody is used to it she said and it's a great uniform especially in this weather um no lady wrong (laughs) wrong wrong I do not meet the self set weight limit of wearing yoga I far exceed that limit. Not fucking going to happen. I think um, many others agreed. I think yoga pants are the new jeans, another woman said. Everyone's wearing them. Well, lady, I got to tell you something. Everybody shouldn't be wearing them. Just saying. I also like to wear it outside, a man said. It's just comfortable and it's fashionable. Fuck you, dude. It is not. But can clothing that punctuates the private parts across the line... Some people say yes. I think if you have a cute little figure, it's good. But I think most of the people don't, one woman said. (laughs) I agree with that woman. This is the woman I agree with. Uh, Get a little more creative, another said. Put your jeans back on. Thank you, lady. I agree with you, too. I will stay in my jeans. Fitness fashion retailer Shannon DePew said there are yoga pants, do's and don'ts. As long as it's done appropriately, where you are covering all of your bases, your backside probably the most important, I think, sure, you can wear yoga pants wherever you want to go, said Depew, co-owner of Skankerology. I don't know. Uh, Ron Rudinsky specializes in men's fashion and is not enthusiastic about yoga pants, but not against them either. I'm definitely not a big fan but of the look. But I certainly wouldn't walk away from it on my day off. He recommended that you save the uber-fitted look for the gym. And yogis say, in the spirit of namaste. Namaste. Okay. In the spirit of that, 
which just proves <laughs> I'm not into fucking yoga. I am. Focus not on the external, but what's on the inside. The Montana bill to ban yoga pants has met with some opposition of its own. Montana State Representative Virginia Court, a Democrat from Billings, said she is concerned that the provision prohibiting garments showing the outline or appearance of a woman's nipple unfairly targets women. I think you are kind of being a little prejudiced against women, Court said. I have a follow-up question. Okay. Are, 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 are they allowed to dance in Missoula? <laughs> I, I don't know. I think you probably have to have your prom 20 miles outside of town. Are, are, are swimming pools allowed there? I have yeah. no idea. Yeah, I how, don't know. How can they miss the whole like 70s rock spandex thing? I mean... <laughs> you know, it... it I gotta tell you, it kind of reminds me of the town Footloose was based on. Yep. Yeah, there were no hair bands there in the eighties because that motherfucker showed you all. Of their <laughs> I don't even think that was all them. I think that was socks. I, you know, but I, I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan of yoga pants. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm really not. But that's because I'm pretty fucking fluffy. But I, yeah, I, I, they're comfortable. They're, they're comfortable, and if you've just done yoga, they're extremely it's, comfortable. Now, is this place, did, did this guy support a bill banning pants hanging off your ass? Uh, you know, I don't know. I've never heard of this guy before. You know, I mean, I, because we have a rule in, in our house. Right. Um, your underwear belong under your clothing. That's why they call them underwear. If they didn't belong under your clothing, they would be called hang out the top wear. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. No, and what's good for the it's it's fairness, but I just yeah. So there'll be no wearing of swimsuits in that community, I guess. I must wear those big Victorian swimming dress things. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> I see ankle. Arrest her. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Jen. I couldn't let you close the show without talking about this no, story. That's, it's that's it's good, hysterical. Though. It just absolutely cracked me up. And they say we never talk about happy, funny stuff. And this was just flat out happy, funny stuff. So, yeah, large parts of Montana appear to be stuck in the 1930s someplace. (laughs) Yep. Yep. There'll be showing, there'll be no showing an ankle here. Hurry up and put on your hajib. (sighs) Unreal. That word is either. Yeah. Well. Okay. Well, now I guess that's it. Advert? Advert. Why spend hours searching for in-stock ammunition when you can use AmmoSeek.com? AmmoSeek.com is a search engine for finding ammunition, reloading components, magazines, and guns for more than 300 calibers at more than 60 online retailers. AmmoSeek.com only shows items that are in stock and readily available for shipping. You can search by caliber, grains, manufacturer, and more. The results are displayed by cost per round, so you are able to get the very best pricing on your ammunition of choice. Find ammunition at the best prices, fast. Amoseek.com. Good night, guys. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next Monday. Thanks, Daryl. <laughs>